One, two, three, clap. Perfect. Was that good? Was that good? That's that good. good. Were, were we synced enough? Okay. Yeah, I heard all the claps. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I don't want spaces after my jokes because then they won't land. <laughs> we have an editor. Oh, oh that's like, wait. Every actually, time I'm sorry. Can the editor please add a bunch of dead air after all of Harry's jokes? <gasps> no, no. And then and then here, like, no, you can Clem, splice this no, in right no. after. So do like ten seconds of dead air, and then I'll say. Could you? Anyway, could you, and you, could you imagine if she just like I would be like. Yeah, that's what I call a block. And then it's just like dead silence yeah. after each one of my jokes. Anyway. <laughs> hey, welcome to Creative Block. We're your host, V. And Ari. We interview people in creative industries about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We ask people on Twitter and Instagram because we are transferring to Instagram. They had specific topics they wanted us to discuss as well as some drawing prompts. And today, with us, we have <gasps> Sammy Crowley. Hi! Woo! Sammy! Hello, what's up, friends? How you doing, what? Sammy? I'm good. Look at us just hanging out. <laughs> we just all wandered in here. We didn't even just know. Wandered in here. Yeah, couple, couple Loud House alums, you know. Oh, ooh, you come here often, Sammy? Oh, uh, you know, you know. Whenever I get the invite, whenever. <laughs> it's just like the old days. Oh <laughs> Flashbacks to the office. Oh. <laughs> so for our listeners, this is where um, Ari and I met. Sammy was on the Loud House. Sammy was an amazing writer, staff writer on the Loud House show. Um. I'm going to start by asking you, like, you know, the very uh, obvious question. Did you kind of always know you wanted to write, to be a writer? And, like, the, like, B part of the question is, did you know you wanted to write for cartoons? Uh, great question. Um, <laughs> I, so I definitely, growing up, like, when I was a kid, I, like, you know, I, I did a lot of, like, home movie making uh, I was like the kid who was always wandering around with the camera. So I knew that I wanted to do something in like film or, you know, TV, something in, in that world. Uh, but I didn't, I feel like I didn't know I wanted to be a writer until kind of I went to college. Uh, and I went to college for like TV, like I was going to college for like kind of general TV. And then I ended up in like the TV writing major specifically, which was very cool that my college had. And I feel like that was when I definitely decided like, okay, no, like this is, this is my favorite part of the process. I feel like growing up, I think I had, I had like fantasies of like, I'm going to be like a director. Cause I feel like that's just like a Ooh. word that you know when you're a kid. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a job that they have in the movies. <laughs> Uh, and then definitely, I feel like animation, I didn't know specifically. So I always liked, I always wanted to do comedy and I always liked kind of more like family friendly comedy. Like I was never super into any kind of like the, the raunchy stuff or anything like that. Uh, mm. So kind of when I, when I moved out here was, so I mean, obviously when I was growing up, I had a couple of cartoons I was very obsessed with and were very, you know, informative. But I think when I moved out here, uh, kind of getting, you know, my feet wet in the industry and then specifically like Adventure Time, I always think about, I remember like watching Adventure Time mm. and like. I think that was kind of, it was really big kind of when I first moved out here and that for sure was like, oh, I want to do that. Like that mm -hmm. show, even though that show's not script driven, but I was like, that show was like, <laughs> that show is so amazing. Like if I can make something like that, like I was like watching it as an adult fan. I was like, this is, this is the best. So I feel like that show specifically got made me think, 
Oh, animation would be really oh. fun. Oh my gosh, look at this pony that is being drawn. That's really, <laughs> I really love to hear that you were doing home movies because it's something mm -hmm. I've heard from a couple of the other writers that we've interviewed on the podcast. It's like, first, it's like always another medium than just like the, the writing writing with yeah. the pen on the page. I think that's really cool. You know, yeah, um, definitely, like, when you're, especially, like, when you're just, like, wandering around with the camera, right? It's, like, you're not, like, scripting anything out, right? You might have, like, a sheet of paper where you're, like, okay, I think this is going to happen, and then this, and then that. Yeah. But you're just not, you're, you're certainly, I didn't know anything about, like, script formatting until I was, you know, like, a teenager. Oh, well, so that means, like, when you mean that, like, you were aware of it as a teenager, does that mean that you saw a script, or is it just, like, you had, like, a general idea, like, you read a play in high school, or, like... Oh, yeah, I definitely, I got, like, I don't, I don't know where I even got it from, but at some point someone had gifted me, like, a copy of uh, the Star Wars Episode Five screenplay, like, mm -hmm. those kind of reproduction screenplays that they do. Oh. So I had that, and I remember, like, reading through that very, like, studiously, and being like, okay, like, trying to kind of understand, because it is, I feel like if you have never seen a script, and it's interesting now, obviously, because people growing up today have so much more access to just everything, yeah. but, like, when we were growing up in, like, the 90s, right, like, you didn't, you couldn't just, like, go get, I'm from Wisconsin, you couldn't just go get a script, like, that didn't mm -hmm. really yeah. exist, yeah. unless you're gifted a Star Wars script, and then you have one. That is so cool. Was it was it just like you were already like a huge Star Wars fan and that's yes. why you got the script? <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, this sounds fun for you. And like, and you like to make movies. Like, look, this is how movies are made. And I'm like, whoa, this is how people are really uh, making movies. <laughs> my, my two interests colliding. I know, right? That's so cool. Do you, um, how did you pick your college? Um, I had a very interesting college journey. Um, so I, I only applied to a handful of schools and I didn't get into any of the schools that I wanted to go to. Mm. So I was like, okay, that's obstacle number one. Uh, <laughs> and then the two schools that I did get into uh, were Ithaca College and Columbia College Chicago. Mm. Uh, and I decided to go to Ithaca College because it was like, it had like a little bit more like prestige. Mm. Uh, and I went there uh, and I didn't get into the film program originally. So I was a political science major. Mm. Whoa. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh so that was uh, an interesting journey uh and i was miserable it was like the worst time of my life i had a terrible experience uh yeah. how did you come about to picking that were you just like oh that sounds like a job that was always kind of my like secondary interest like i think kind uh, of i was really into oh. politics when i was in high school my friends and i like took part in like a lot of like protests and stuff like it was very mm. we had a lot of fun because I'm, I'm from I'm from a purple state, but kind of a red area. Mm. So uh, there was always kind of a, we were always kind of out on the ground trying to like <laughs> drum up Democrat support. Yeah. Uh, so I was definitely always interested in politics. Like I was, I was very interested in like the 2008 election. I watched a lot of C-SPAN mm. at the time. So I was like, okay, like I guess I'll be like a political science major. And then, you know, I think that sounded, that sounded fun in the abstract because I was interested in politics. But then mm -hmm. like when it came down to practicality, I was like, oh, this is, and I, I think the reality was I always wanted to do tv and i think i was really mm. discouraged because i didn't get into kind of the like prestigious like tv film programs that i wanted to be in mm -hmm. so it's like well if i can't even get into those what are the odds that i could like make it in the industry mm. so like i got i like i guess i'll just give up because this is not gonna work oh, uh so i yeah. spent <laughs> yeah, so i spent like a month trying to convince myself that i could do a different thing uh <laughs> And that didn't work. So literally a month into my time at Ithaca, I emailed Columbia College Chicago, which is an art school and like has, you know, the television program that I ended up in. I emailed them and I was like, hey, like I want to reapply. Like I want to come there in the spring. And they're like, oh, it's chill. We'll just change the date on the acceptance letter. You can still come. And I was like, great. I'll see you there. I'll Ooh, be there okay. in January. 
That's um, really cool. I like that. Yeah. I mean, that sh- goes to show, like, you know, like, don't give up, right? It's like, okay, you yeah. might be rejected once, but you can yeah. still apply a second time. That's really cool. Yeah, I did. I feel like I kind of almost let that, like, tank everything that I'd always wanted, just because I think so much, because I-, I grew up in, uh, I grew up in, in a household that was very academically focused and like all of my sisters went to like very good schools so I definitely had it in my mind it's like well if I don't get into like you know the NYU film program then like what am I even doing which I obviously Mm. didn't get into (laughs) (laughs) oh wow that's so so crazy and so like how was it like what were the requirements for these schools like to get in like film programs did they like because I'm asking that because as an artist I know like a lot of like art schools are like you got to show portfolio mm-hmm. with like these kind of drawings is there any requirements like for a writer like do they want to see scripts or was it just kind of like a cover letter no yeah it definitely and, and obviously I'm guessing that it's different now I went to college uh in 2008 so I'm guessing mm-hmm. that it's pretty different now but when I was doing it, I don't think we had to send in any kind of – we definitely didn't have to do any kind of scripts. I don't even think it was any kind of videos. I think it was truly just um, – I, yeah, I think it was just, like, like your essay. And definitely one of the schools I applied to you needed, like, a recommendation letter specifically from someone who had an experience, like, with your, like, quote-unquote film work. Uh, and I had, I had a TV and media class in high school that was spectacular. So I had my teacher write me a letter for that. But it was definitely like not, it, it was certainly back then more based on, you know, your grades and okay. your ACT or SAT scores, uh, which was part of the reason that I, I really ended up loving the college that I did go to because mm. they were not, they let anybody in. Like that's kind of like their whole thing, which I think in retrospect is like such a wonderful way to like run a college, especially like an yeah. art college. Like, mm. like these are going to be kids who, you know, a lot of times maybe were not super academically successful, mm. but who have such other skills that like, you know, don't necessarily translate as well. Like give them the opportunities to, to succeed in the framework of like a thing they'd actually be good at. And like, mm. and then you would do, and then you see success, right? Like a lot of people from my class were successful. Like, and it didn't matter that, you know, a lot of those kids, you know, maybe couldn't have gotten into like the top tier colleges. Like, I think just going anywhere that has like a focus in it is so valuable. I love that. I love that. Do you feel like you got to meet people you wouldn't have like met otherwise? Like, just because like it was like such a broad like uh, entry? Yeah. Yeah, that's really no, cool. No, hundred percent, right? Because it because it was because it anybody who and that's the thing that was nice about it too. It was, it was a very easy college to get into, but it was a decent amount of work to like stay in. So I think that mm. kind of once you got past kind of that first year, it was people who were very serious about the thing that they wanted to do, which was great. Because then I was like surrounded by those people, and specifically, I was really lucky because my college has or had. I'm, I don't think they have a television program anymore, but they had a film and television program and the film program was huge but the television program was really small so I kind of got to know the same people because we'd have all Mm -hmm. the same classes together like over the course of the years that I was there Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there was like a semester in LA program so a lot of people kind of all moved out here at the same time so that, oh, that program, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. so you were like, you already had a community when you moved out here. You yes. weren't like by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like invaluable. Like I don't, I, I think back and I, I think it's probably infinitely harder. So I give everybody who moves out here without kind of having any, any like level of connection or kind of built in like friends or family. Like I, I give them a lot of credit because I know that's, that's gotta be extremely tough. I definitely, I certainly had like the comfort and the safety of like these people who are moving out here at the same time who want to do the same kind of thing. Like it was it was great. Yeah, just having mm-hmm. that support group is super important. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel like it's something that I'm, like, starting to realize a little bit. Like, for writers, I feel like it's kind of nice to have people you trust to kind of, like, show your work. Huge. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. can you, like, would you say that, like, going to college and finding that group was mm-hmm. kind of like a, like, 
uh, you're, I, it's, it's a thing that I hear a lot on the podcast is like finding community, like some, mm-hmm. like a community that helps you stay motivated and to, and push you on like, would you say like, what would be like the, like the, the most, like, do you have a little anecdote or like some like really fun stuff to talk about, like how they've helped you with like some scripts or like mm-hmm. finding a gig or something? Yeah, I mean, well, first and foremost, uh, one of the people in in that semester in light class was Whitney. So, <laughs> oh, no way. so all the way back, to, all the way back to the beginning. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was incredibly valuable because we came out here and we did like a semester in LA program where we kind of all wrote scripts together, and that was great. But you know, it was only a couple of months, and then after that, we did uh, like a, we kept a writer's group going for a couple of years after that, which was super great. And I think there were it was a two prong value, right? I think. The number one value, probably honestly to all of us, was just the reality that, oh, if you have this, you know, writer's group that's meeting, I think we met kind of like once every other week-ish, you feel like a pressure to get something done and to have something mm-hmm. like ready to turn in. So I think having that like accountability uh, and just like, and just getting mm-hmm. anything out, right? Like even if it's not that good and you might turn it in with all these caveats of like, oh, I don't know about this one, guys, but like at least mm-hmm. you did it and you like, you made something and then there's somewhere for it to go. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And then definitely also, yeah, being able to get feedback from like people who were doing the same thing as I was. And, and obviously I think this is pretty true for most writers groups. If this happens to your writers group, it's very normal is that they tend to kind of just peter out where you have people who are more serious move who are less serious. And the group you start with is kind of never a group that's going to like last long, long term. There might be a couple people in it that do. Mm. Uh, but certainly at like kind of the height of it, it was, it was super valuable getting feedback from, and also getting feedback, I think from people who had, you know, broadly different comedic sensibilities was really mm-hmm. valuable, right? Cause mm-hmm. I feel like there are some things that I think are extremely funny and if some of the people in the group think it's funny, I'm like, great, I did it. If no one in the group thinks it's funny, it's like, this is too weird. You went too weird. <laughs> it's too coincidental. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. That's so funny. That's uh, so true. When you're doing um, these, like, brainstorms, right, and you're just, mm-hmm. like, kind of practicing and trying to get this stuff out on the, you know, the paper, so to say, mm-hmm. um, like, are you doing, like, script things, or is it, like, short stories? Like, what kind of what kind of things do you guys, like, put together to, like, pitch to each other? Uh, when we were in that group or like yeah. kind of just in general now? I guess in that group. Uh, in, that, in that group, we were doing a lot of, we actually were just kind of doing a lot of scripts, which is maybe not like the best way to do it. I think just because, you know, we were like new and young and we were just excited to like be in final drafts. So we're like <laughs> writing little scripts. But certainly the way that, you know, you do it once you kind of know more what you're doing it is it is kind of just those like shorter blurbs of like, here's like a general area because there's, it's really tough because once you start, if you start kind of writing something, you start getting into like the dialogue and like the weeds of it before you kind of run it past anybody, you get kind of like hooked on whatever that idea is. And it's really hard. It's really hard to change courses. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're going in early, which is why also you just like professionally, it's like obviously so important and literally built into the process. You're getting that feedback immediately. And I think the thing that's tough too is it's so much easier to take ideas at that early stage because exactly, you're not super married to everything in it. And like, it's so much easier to pivot. And I think you're, you can be a little bit less kind of self-conscious of like, oh, Ari, that is a really good idea. I will incorporate that. Like, thank you. Versus mm-hmm. we were telling me that when I'm 20 pages deep, I'm like, where were you 20 pages yeah. ago? <laughs> I needed this. I needed this help. <laughs> oh man, that's, so, that's, that's, that's really great. If you were like, if you were like doing like a little, like now as an experienced writer, if you were doing like your little writer group again, like what would you uh, change to make it like more efficient, I guess? Oh, that's a great idea. I think that I, I actually, the, just like the most important thing is just like picking the right people is I think picking people 
who are going to attend and who are going to read other people's scripts, but who are also going to turn stuff in. Because I feel like most writers groups inevitably end up being a group of like eight people where only one or two people turn things in. Mm. So I think that would kind of be the most important thing. But I do think, you know, all writers groups, they're so, they can be so different. And I think mm. also just with kind of how often they meet, I think that I wouldn't want to be in one that met as often as the one that we had when I first moved out here. But that was, again, it was really valuable, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. and we kind of were able to keep each other in check and keep each other moving. But when you're a professional writer, it's also, it's just harder too because you have so much, Yeah, it's a balance, right? Because you have so much professional work you're doing, but then anything you're bringing to a writer's group is going to kind of be your personal work. And yeah. it is kind of the question of how much, how much, I mean, you guys obviously face this too as artists, like how much time do you have to do like your personal projects if you're full-time on something or even yeah. if you're doing like a couple freelances at the same mm-hmm. time, like it's, it's always kind of tough to squeeze in that extra stuff. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's really true. I feel like, but there's, yeah, like that, that's also what you said. Like when you like, when you're like just bright eyes and like bushy yeah. tail, you're like, I got to light a job yeah. and you're like, have the fire. Um, yeah, I, I was, just, oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to ask you like, how was that moment when you graduated mm-hmm. and before landing a job and I kind of like when you graduate, so like, for example, for I feel like for artists, when you graduate, you kind of have like either you have a little film that you mm-hmm. can show to potential like uh, employers and you have like a portfolio that you've worked on mm-hmm. throughout the years to show like your skill level. Um, when you graduated from college, did you have anything like mm-hmm. that? Like, um, well, yeah, no, we did because we worked on spec scripts. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a couple of spec scripts. I think specifically like we wrote one during our like kind of semester in LA programs that was obviously like kind of the one that I felt the best about Mm -hmm. so you have that and that can be really useful but I do think one of the things that's very different about writing from kind of the other disciplines is like writing jobs aren't posted right like you can't apply to a writing job like that doesn't really exist so the reality is like you have this script and you can like try to like send it around if you know anybody But, like, I think that for most writers, I think that people either kind of make it in through going through, like, kind of an assistant route or other jobs or fellowships. Like, I kind Mm -hmm. of think there's not really an in-between. Like, I definitely don't know of any stories. I'm sure that they exist. There's always outliers. I certainly don't know of any stories of somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who worked at a network and they sent their Mm -hmm. script and they were like, this script is so amazing. We're going to hire you as a writer immediately. Like, I don't really think that that happens. Yeah. It's (laughs) probably pretty rare. Yeah. So I did. I had spec scripts that that I really liked. Um, and the yeah, spec scripts are like, so it's like a, an episode of an existing show is mm-hmm. kind of the idea. So you try to pick a show that you really like and that you're, you think you could write something interesting about or that you're passionate about. Uh, so I had, yeah, I had like a Raising Hope spec was the one that I, I just finished, but yeah, couldn't do much with it, but you know, I had it and, and it was, it's, it's a, <laughs> I don't know. Everything's about, I feel like spec scripts are such a great process and I don't think that they're as requested anymore for like getting writer's jobs, mm-hmm. but I wrote like 10 or 15 specs like in, oh, my, wow. in my early days, which is like, that's, it's such a good way to get bad scripts out of your system. Oh, like, cause nice. you have to yeah. write a lot of really bad scripts before you write a good script. Like you just have to do it and yeah. it sucks, but like, that's, that's how it works. Uh, so it's like kind of nice just like do it on spec script. So it's like, well, I'm not as like, I didn't have to do as much prep work because I didn't have to create this world. And like, yeah. I'm not going to be as attached to it because like, it's not my show. Like, I'm, I'm just doing this for fun and for learning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like what you're saying also kind of like, um, kind of mirrors a little bit a question that um, we have from our patron, Katie. Have you ever written a fan fiction? <gasps> and if so, what are your opinions on writing simple bordering on fan fiction? <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I have definitely written fanfiction. I think, <laughs> yes, we, we all I knew think, this. <laughs> I think all writers, I think a lot of writers dabbled in fanfiction in their early days. Um, I wrote my first, the first fanfictions I was writing, I wrote a lot of, do you guys, this, I feel like not a lot of people. Did you guys watch the S Club 7 series? No. Oh, I know of it because of the songs, but I haven't yes. seen the They the had a show. TV show. So I wrote yes. a lot of fanfic for the TV Ooh. show. Uh, and then I was, I think I was about like 14 when Lost came out, and I wrote a lot of Lost fanfiction. That was oh, like, that, that's such a good one, too, yeah. to like write. There's like so many fanfiction. theories and like different things I that mean, could have happened. I mean, I want to be super clear. I was not <laughs> writing about the theories. I was okay. writing love stories between the male characters. Okay. So I, that was not really – I wasn't interested in theories yes. as I was as – you know, yes. exploring these relationships that I'm like, I can see there's something here. There's there's something going on. Um, so yes, I did write a lot of fan fiction. I think that's I think that's very typical. And then as far as the second part of the question was writing samples that are borderline. Fan- I mean, here's the thing: yeah. all if you're writing a spec strip, you're writing fan fiction. Like that's just. So I guess I've written a yeah. lot of fan fiction, right? Like yeah. that's just fan fiction. Like you are a fan and you're creating a story. Like it is fan fiction by definition. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole purpose of writing, you know, specs or samples is to write something that seems like it could be part of the show. So like, yeah, if you're writing something that, that, you know, that feels like, you know, it shouldn't feel too much like fanfiction. I guess it should feel like more what could be on the show, but it's going to be a little bit of fan fiction. Like, I think that's extremely normal. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like the stuff that you want to see. I guess, yeah, I wonder, like, okay, this is a question I'm like making up on the spot. What would you say as a professional writer Mm. would get a script from a fan fiction script mm. into a professional spec script, I guess. You know what I mean? I do think it is kind of being aware of like, okay, what is actually realistic for this show, right? Because okay. I think what, when I was writing fan fiction, I was writing stuff that would not happen in the show, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that if you're writing, if you're writing kind of being super conscientious about like, how realistic is this? Or kind of comparing it to like others. Like if you were like, for example, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, some Loud House characters. If you were writing like a Loud House sample like watching those episodes and seeing too or even kind of like knowing in world right like you can there's certain ways that you can stretch stuff that is like really extreme and maybe the show can do that but like you writing a sample shouldn't do that like you should be kind of showcasing what is kind of the show at its core and not going to those extremes i feel like the further into the extremes you go i think the more it kind of seems like fan fiction oh yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah 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 yeah, it's like yeah, it's kind of like being aware of the rules of the world and not breaking them. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's like a different type of fan fiction. It is a different type of fan fiction, right? It's kind of like more yeah. organized fan fiction. Yeah. Well, I, I think, and also, you know, fan fiction, at least certainly when I was growing up, was typically like prose. Whereas, obviously, you know, when you're doing a spec, it's like a script. So I think even that just kind of takes it to a different place because I think we're all kind of more used to like prosy fan fiction. Mm, uh, yeah. Fan fiction is great though. Everyone should be writing fan fiction. It's just like it's any kind of writing is valuable, right? Like it all yeah. it all goes to the same place. Um, do you uh, I, have you ever had this moment? Like, like for example, like I'm kind of like talking about myself here, uh, but like I feel like when I try to write or like when I started to try to write or like do boards and stuff, I always kind of struggled with the thing where it's like your uh, you have an idea, you have your characters, you have your, your setup, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's just kind of flat and you don't know how to make the pacing work mm-hmm. or like you have the beginning, you have the end, and then the middle is just a bunch of bush. Have you ever felt yeah. that? And 
Do you have any like, thoughts on that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely, right? I feel like that's that's like most ideas as you start out with that. You're like, okay, like I feel like there's something here. But uh, I mean, I do think so, you know, all writers kind of on their personal projects have a process. Like obviously when we're doing professionally, there's like the built-in steps. There's premise and outline and then script. But certainly when I am writing anything on my own, I definitely am a big beat sheeter. So like it is just mm. before I'll let myself kind of get into script, it is kind of doing those bullet points of like, okay like what happens here and then i do think it helps to think about because i'm assuming you're when you're talking about kind of you have a beginning of an end it's kind of like well here's where the character starts here's where the character ends and then i think it is just kind of about like well what things make sense for them to experience that will help us get to this end point Mm -hmm. like what are kind of the because i feel like a lot of you can kind of just think about that was like what are kind of the logical steps that would like bridge us here and i think that kind of helps fill in the middle and then also just kind of yeah, like what are like the fun things or also even like what are what are the twists like i think that's always mm. really valuable is what are the ways like i think you know on most shows it's you know pretty early on you're trying to establish like what's the character's goal and then so much of that kind of middle chunk is just what are the ways they try to accomplish the goal what are the things that get in their way of accomplishing goal what are the twists that make them think oh i thought i would get my goal like this but then this really unexpected thing happened and now i have to manage that unexpected thing Mm-hmm. So I think kind of just, I definitely recommend like beating things out. And then, yeah, I guess just kind of thinking about, thinking about how, what's like the most fun way to get from A to B and kind of also just, like what makes sense, I guess. Yeah, no, that's great. I think I like that you're, you're bringing up all the obstacles to the goal and like kind of like clarifying that. Sometimes it's like, that sounds like so clear and easy, but then when you're actually like sitting in front of the screen, you're <laughs> like, I don't even know what my character really wants. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Sammy, I got a, I got a question you about about this is another kind of off the book in the moment question we love some off the books what, off the, yeah, what, love what do you think makes for a good twist as a writer because like because i know a lot of people are just like but what if like he's a robot like you know like yeah. they, they'll just like throw in something like so outrageous that it's like well of course it's a twist because nobody would think about that like yeah I guess um, that's true. like i guess what differentiates like kind of like a cop-out twist for you versus mm-hmm. like a very good actually developed twist so I think that the, I think, I think the reality is, is that almost any twist can be good if you've set it up the right way. Mm. Like here's like, if you're setting up, if the twist is that like, he's been a robot the whole time and the whole way through, you've kind of like put little pockets and little threads of like, that was a little weird. Or like, he has a really close relationship with his toaster. Like <laughs> I think that you can kind of make almost any twist work, but I think it's just about kind of embedding things earlier that kind of make you think or question yeah. what's going on and kind of give you like a little bit of a hint. And mm. I think if it's not like that, if it's kind of just like a pure twist, I think it does. It just has to be something that is rooted in like logic. It just, it has to, that's like the number one thing that I always think about. I had, I had a teacher once who was absolutely lovely and his whole thing he always talked about was about like, you just have to make choices that make sense. And like, they just have to make sense from the character perspective, right? Like if, if your character does really insane things, like maybe you can do a really crazy thing. Mm-hmm. But if your character is, you know, it, it, you have to kind of think within like kind of their bounds of like what their logical step is. I think the same thing is true for twists. Like, I think you have to think about, okay, what actually, what actually makes sense here? I'm trying to think if I have any more specific things. That's a great question, Ari. That's a, that's a really interesting one. But I do, I kind of think that almost any twist can work if you seeded it correctly. And there are totally mm-hmm. scripts that I've done, and I'm sure scripts that all writers have done, where you come up with a twist halfway through writing it, and you're like, that's so good, I have to make it work. And mm-hmm. then you go back, and you kind of try to make like, okay, how do I hint at this? How do we add some foreshadowing? How do we yeah. make sure that this makes sense? And how do we make sure that you don't have a person being like, he's a robot that came out of nowhere? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, maybe if he's a robot, 
we don't show him drinking water or like something yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, stuff like that, right? Or like he like he has this weird fondness for like mechanical things, or he walks a little like stiffer than he should, and someone mm-hmm. comments on it. They're like, "Oh, you're always mm-hmm. you always want loosen up a little bit, you know." But it's not or enough at a party to give it away. And he only does the robot. Yeah. That's too on the nose. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> it, we're workshopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's really good. Wow, that's really that. I I love these little like tips. Um, I also want to kind of hear a little bit about your story when like, so you, you moved out to LA with your little writer, um, group, a friend, and I want to know kind of what was that time for you before you got your first gig and like, how did you land your first gig? So like, mm-hmm. yeah, like kind of like, what were your headspace? Uh, what, how did you feel? Was it hard? Mm-hmm. All that. No, yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. Like, definitely, um, I felt wildly determined and also just, like, wildly off the walls for uh, many years. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so hard to break in. I do feel bad whenever I talk to people who are trying to figure it out because I just, there's just kind of no, like, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's being good enough, but it's also the timing and the luck and knowing the right people. Like, it's, it's obviously very challenging. Uh, so, yeah, I, after I graduated, I ended up working a bunch of, a bunch of kind of like miscellaneous jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I worked at the Game Show Network for a while, uh, cutting uh, clip packages. Um, that was like very fun because I could edit because I you know, learned that in school. So I was like, that was great. Uh, so I worked there and then I worked as, um, I worked at the visual effects office for a little bit more than a year as like the front desk person. And then I worked as a post PA on a couple of shows. So this is all kind of, this is in like the, the first three, I think three-ish years that I was out here. Uh, just cause the reality, it's just, it's just so hard to get into the industry. And I think mm-hmm. especially coming out here, like, I think I just kind of, I didn't really know what to do or kind of even what like the first step should be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I definitely like my plan was like, I got to the visual effects company and I was like, okay, well like now I'm really close to shows, right? Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm one step away from the shows. Like post PAs would come into the office and drop stuff off. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And through that job, I'd met a couple of people and I ended up, I quit that job and then I didn't have a job. So I ended up emailing basically anyone who I'd befriended when they'd come into the office to drop off drives. And one of the guys that I emailed, super, super sweet man, uh, was like, hey, I've got like a really short term gig. Like the show's already canceled. Do you want to come on? And I was like, yes, oh, I do. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But that was that was also crazy. I literally I emailed so many people and most of them obviously did not email me back, which like it's extremely normal. Right. Like they, I'm yeah. a person that they barely know and I'm begging them for a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just need one thing to work. Right. Like you just need one one hit and then you're great. Right. So I definitely thought once I got into, once I was a post-PA, I was like, okay, well, like, now I've got another plan, right? It's like, okay, I'm a post-PA on these shows. And obviously I was on one show and then it was already canceled. And then I went to that producer. uh, I went to his next show. uh, And that was a pilot. So I was like, okay, well, now I'm on a pilot. So if this pilot gets greenlit, I'll try to become the writer's PA. So that'll be my next move. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that show didn't get picked up. So I didn't get that job. Um, and then <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I'll just keep bouncing around. And I was like, okay, I'm on the opposite end of the production side, but I'll, I'll work my way forward. Uh, but that is not at all what got me a job. Um, that was just kind of the things that I was doing in the interim of, uh, keeping myself busy. But the most important thing that I was doing during those jobs, and, and I was lucky that those jobs, well, they, it was a mix, but for the most part, were not so emotionally draining that I didn't have time to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause during that whole time, 
I was writing and, you know, our writer's group was going for a big chunk of it. And pretty early on into being out here, uh, Whitney and I, Whitney Weta for any listeners, um, our lovely friend and incredible writer, uh, we teamed up and we started writing stuff together. We wrote like a Christmas movie together. We wrote a couple pilots together, um, which is such a great time. Like we had a really, we had a great like comedic chemistry, great writing chemistry, obviously great friendship chemistry. Um, and then at the time she'd been working at Nickelodeon she had interned there and she'd been a script coordinator on a couple different shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, and at the time that I quote unquote broke into the industry, she was the script coordinator on the loud house. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they offered her a script and she was like, Oh, Hey, can like my writing partner and I do it together? And they were like, sure. Uh, so that's literally, that was it. That's like how I broke in is then we wrote, um, we wrote, uh, um, like five or six episodes. I think, yeah, I think it was, was, I don't know. We wrote a bunch of episodes season one and then season Mm -hmm. two, um, I got hired on full-time. So she moved up and she became like a full-time staff writer. And then I Mm -hmm. came in and I did staff writing and script coordinating. So I kind of took over her script coordinator roles and then also did the writing. Mm -hmm. So then, yes, then from season two on, then I was at the Loud House. So that's, uh, that's the story. Wow. That is so cool. I, it's interesting too to hear that like uh, you didn't go through fellowship, but it was just like yeah. Like how long did you say it took between uh, the moment you graduated and landed the, the your gig on the Loud House? Oh, that's such a. I think so. I I moved out here in April 2011, and my uh-huh. first the first meeting for a script that I had in the Loud House was October 6, 2014. So I guess that's it was about three and a half years. Okay, is that right? Yeah, that's that right. I think that math's right. <laughs> I'm going to trust you on that. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, the math sounds good. We're, you know, we're crazy. We, yeah. we're, we're not yeah. a math podcast. We don't. We're not a math Yeah. Uh, yeah. So about like about three and a half years before I got kind of any level of traction, which I think is, especially for writing, I think is like pretty normal. Like I think that, you know, and I think too, when, when we first moved out here, like there was like a speaker or something that came to one of my classes who talked about like, you know, when you move to LA, if you want to be in the industry, if you won't give it 10 years, don't give it 10 minutes, which was advice that I would like chant to myself when I would like oh, be wow. sadly applying to all these industry jobs that I, would, I knew I would never get. Because uh, I, I, I think that that headspace is, is true and is like the right one to have. And I think that I know a lot of people who moved out here who, again, yeah, it took many, many years to find any level of success. And I think that if you're not serious enough about it to like give it a substantial amount of time, then I think it's probably not worth the effort. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, ooh, it's tough, right? Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. when it's scary too, right? Because it, it's yeah. you know, it's it's a job of passion, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. who wants yeah. to do this, like wants to do it really badly. And for so many people, it's like this is the thing. Like I have to do this, which I think also goes yeah. back to the like like you have to be willing to give it ten years. You have to be willing to kind of slog for ten years and work jobs <laughs> that like aren't great and are not going to pay that well. And like it's a lot of you know bringing people food and like you kind of just that's that's what yeah. it is, you know. Yeah. Got to keep that passion alive. Yeah. So you were you were freelance you were freelancing at first, right? The Loud House Correct. scripts. You were you were yeah. freelancing. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit what is different between being a freelance writer and a staff writer? So the difference is extraordinarily dependent on what show you're on. I would say mm-hmm. on so the, I mean first and foremost, obviously when you're a staff writer, you're there every day and you have a lot more you have involvement in every script. Like that's the thing that I think is very mm-hmm. cool about the process. I kind of thinking specifically about Loud House, who's you know the show I was on the longest mm-hmm. and our 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 show together, guys. Um, <laughs> like, you know, 
that you know we had we had a lot of involvement in every single script right like we were there for the very origins of it we broke the story together when people would bring in outlines we'd all read the outlines and like talk about them and the scripts and we'd go through the script all together in the room so you're getting you know five times as much exposure to like learning and information mm -hmm. and seeing things so that's kind of like one of the major differences uh and then with freelancing you're only worried about your episode like you're just coming in for meetings that are related to your episode there are definitely some shows that like you aren't even really that involved you kind of just turn in drafts and then they make their own changes mm -hmm. and it continues on uh so you definitely are not kind of going to as many creative meetings about it which i think is a shame like i think freelance freelance writing is really also like a like a practical side of freelance writing is really hard because mm -hmm. you don't you know when you're staff writing and you're just kind of focused hyper focused on one show you know so much about the show mm -hmm. and like you I, and you can write so much easier like those characters and from those characters perspectives because you kind of have those voices almost like baked into you like at some point it becomes like pretty easy to like get those voices because you just know them mm -hmm. but every time you're freelancing on something especially if you're you know freelancing on a lot of different stuff and kind of just like coming in for an episode here episode there it's really tough because you know you can read the bible and you can watch whatever shows that they have available whatever animatics they have available and you can try to familiar familiarize yourself as much as possible but there's all these nuances that exist in shows that are really hard for freelancers to like know or understand mm -hmm. uh which is why like shows with staff rooms are just it, i feel like they're it's so much it's just so much more challenging to do a show without a room and i think if you yeah. don't have a room you have to have such an incredibly talented story editor because they're mm -hmm. going to end up taking a ton of the work on themselves mm -hmm. to kind of make sure that everything has the same voice right whereas if you're in a room all day with the same people you know working on the same show, you kind of, it's very, it's much easier to find kind of that cohesive show voice. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really, yeah, that's really tough. That's something that like, I, um, like we've been talking about a lot just in general, you know, like artists and like writers and like how, like how, like in the industry, it, how many, do you, how many shows have you worked on that are, that had a room versus the mm -hmm. amount of shows that you worked on that were a f like a story editor and just uh, freelance writers. Mm -hmm. I would say, I think that I've been lucky that most of the shows I've worked on have been room shows. Obviously the two shows that I was full-time obviously were, were uh, had writers rooms. And then I can think of at least like two shows. I'm trying to go back into my head. No, I think four. Okay. Four of the shows that I worked on were all freelance. It was just a story editor. And then every, every script was freelanced. And then two other shows that I worked on had rooms where they had like slots for freelancers to come in. So I was able to like come in and freelance during those, those slots. But, and I do, I think that that was also nice. Cause I, I really loved, um, I loved like getting to be in their rooms. Like I always thought that was like very fun. I'm like, Oh, I'm coming in and I'm getting to see how like another, another room does it. I did a, I did a freelance episode of um, rise of the teenage mutant Ninja turtles. Oh, uh, it, didn't, oh, cool. it didn't end up getting made. So don't go look for it. Uh, but that was a great process because like it was like very fun getting to like meet those guys who worked on the show and it was like i had such like, a good time doing that and it was, it was very fun to see how kind of another another show works that like well i'm not going to be you know full time on this but i still get this kind of slice of like oh this is how this is run this is how they do things mm -hmm. and that was great whereas you know obviously when you're in a show that's freelance it's it's very it's just a lot you're just meeting with a story editor you definitely don't kind of have the same community and kind of camaraderie that it's ever going to exist on you know a show with a room. We love writers. Rooms. All writers love writers. Yeah. Rooms. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Honestly, I feel like, and you can tell. You can tell that sometimes, yeah. like, 
when you get a script that's like a freelance script it's like mm-hmm. they're like trying their best to guess kind of what's going on in the yeah. show but it's kind of like oh i don't know here's a, here it is oh, lincoln's a robot <laughs> it's never gonna be as good as uh. a, it's a robot, right it's a robot twist it's never gonna be as good as as a script that is coming out. I mean, that's not true. It's, sometimes it will be as good, but so oftentimes it will not be as strong. And exactly. It's nothing, yeah. it's nothing that like the writer did that was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just, they don't, they're never going to be as drenched in that property and those characters as somebody mm-hmm. who is sitting in that room 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I, like it's not, it's not going to make a difference. It, yeah. I feel like that translates similarly to like storyboarding and like, you know, yeah when you're working with the same characters for three seasons or something, you know, you know, the ins and outs of them, you know, Mm -hmm. like their little nuances and how far they can go. And I'm sure it's the same thing with writing. Yeah. It's just totally. And even like little Easter eggy things too, right? Like Mm -hmm. I feel like you kind of can have fun to kind of play in the margins and like kind of opportunities to like add stuff. that's like a little extra weird. Cause like you're there, right? Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're on the ground floor of it. Like you're, you're making the episodes happen, which you definitely don't. I think that, and and I hope I'm sure that you guys feel the same, right? I feel like the shows that you're on full time, I feel like you can feel a tremendous amount of like ownership of like, you feel really like so proud of kind of how they turn out and like you really feel like you were a part of it. Whereas freelance episodes, you know, you might feel like you were a part of the episode that you worked on, but like you're certainly, you know, it, 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 you don't feel like you're necessarily, you don't have really any ownership over the show itself. Like that's, yeah. that's like the people who are working on it's full time kind of thing. You're like a guest. You're a mm-hmm. guest star, exactly, right? And you can enjoy mm-hmm. your episode and it's great, but it's definitely not the same as, well, and even too, you know, obviously there are many scripts that I've seen through on both Loud House and The Ghost of Molly McGee, or like I can point to certain things and be like, oh yeah, like that was like a joke that I like I made that I thought was really funny that I really liked or like that twist was like, oh yeah, like I remember like me and this other writer were like chatting about it and it kind of came out of nowhere and like that was mm-hmm. so fun and you know, I it, you know, it makes you really excited to watch all the episodes because you feel a part of yourself and in, in everything, which is isn't it's awesome. Like it's yeah. the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Is it That's is it really pretty cool. like does that happen often where like freelance scripts might get scrapped or is it just like just depends on the production as a whole? Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't think it, it doesn't really I don't think it happens that often. It's more of, you know, the nature of how the industry is right now, where especially because because writers are the first people in and the first people out a lot of times before shows are kind of greenlit for like a full extra set of episodes, they'll greenlit it for writing. So they'll keep the writers on to kind of keep generating scripts just so you don't slow down production or like kind of honestly grind production to a halt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they want to pick something up or they want to keep going, they can they can get on it immediately. Uh, so sometimes we'll kind of get extra extensions. But what that does mean is there's a lot of circumstances where scripts will get written and then uh, the show won't get picked up. So it's like, okay, well, like, you know. You just you made those, and then mm-hmm. now they're not going to be translated into into actual episodes. Oh man, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember that was a big deal on uh, season one of Loud House that uh, they were waiting for the pickup, but they mm-hmm. because the show came. I don't know if I can say this. Can I say this? That like um, the season one was a little bit under budget, so it mm-hmm. allowed to retain the writers until yeah. they finally got a pickup. Yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff, like, that's kind of how you can make it work sometimes to keep people. Because yeah. I think that, that is so tough, right, is, you know, shows nowadays, it's it's tough because I feel like the seasons are so short. So it's yeah. such a more difficult thing to consider, like, keeping people on for yeah. – because if it's going to be a huge gap between seasons, it's not really practical. But mm-hmm. it's tough because if you're kind of having to start a show over from scratch every time, mm-hmm. scratch yeah. like, yeah. that's that's hard. It really – yeah, it really is. Because it's like, yeah, 
Oh man, that must be so stressful. I'm like trying, like I just imagined it in my head for a second. And I'm like, ooh, too stressful. <laughs> Taking this out. Uh- <laughs> uh, I just discovered that there's a second page of this document, and I'm looking at all of your drawings, and I love them so much. Ah. I think that one of them, Lincoln, is a centaur, and Scratch is yeah. like a yeah. lord. Um, is like the awesome Ari drawing? The that is Sith, so Sith funny. Lord was a request. Uh, oh, and the the centaur was a mistake by me. <laughs> <laughs> was it a mistake Ari, or did you want to draw a centaur I, it's okay I, I looked at it and i was like well that exists that's out there <laughs> but whoever um, loves it i'm so happy <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna ask you so we were talking about the difference between like being a freelance writer and being a staff writer now what would you see is the difference between being a script coordinator and mm-hmm. a staff mm-hmm. writer and like you said you were both on yes, Molly's on Loud House. Yeah. On Loud House, yeah. yeah. So what does that look like? Yes, so that circumstance was like pretty unusual. You are usually only one of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the script coordinator, so I loved being a script coordinator and I will shout that from the rooftops who anybody wants to hear it. I feel like there is sometimes like a bit of a stigma of like people who are just like, just want to be staff writers immediately. And obviously if you can be a staff writer immediately, that's super great. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, you're doing more of the work and like the money is obviously substantially better. Like do that. That's amazing. But I always tell people like, don't discount how valuable it is being a script coordinator. Uh, so when you're a script coordinator, at least, and this will speak, actually this speaks pretty clearly, pretty much I think to both of my shows, a little more to Loud House since that was the show I was the script coordinator on. Um, you're just so involved in everything as a script coordinator, like, cause you're doing so much kind of production organization work. Like you're the one who's kind of responsible for the calendars and the schedules for your department. But in order to do that, you also have to be really aware of, you know, the schedules and everything for other departments. And you have to, you know, interface with them a lot. And like, I would have meetings a lot with, you know, the heads of like the head of the board team. And like, I would go to like the music stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of stuff that I got access to as a script coordinator because I was, because I was coordinating things and organizing stuff and, and making sure stuff made its way through the pipeline, uh, which gave me incredible access. And I also got to meet so many super interesting people. And I feel like I got to learn so much more about the job as a whole doing those roles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the, and then script coordinators also, I think that the thing that people, people think about the most is if you have like a writer's room where you're all kind of there together, which is, is typical for most like shows of thrones, uh, you'll usually be the person who's taking notes, which is great for me because I am an incredibly fast typist, something that I'm very proud of. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> very, very fast. Um, but it's, uh, it's the thing I liked about it the most was I think that when you're a script coordinator, it's a really safe place to be in the room, hear what everyone is saying, kind of learn and understand kind of all these kind of unwritten rules about how often to speak, how much you should kind of push for an idea before it's like, let it go. Uh, and you kind of don't have as much pressure to mm-hmm. pitch as much. And in, in good rooms, you're encouraged to pitch and like add as much as you want to. But I think that in most situations, the coordinator is going to be pitching last just because they're also focused on the notes, which I think is good, right? Because I think it kind of, it gives you a little bit more time to think about the things that you're going to pitch and to kind of watch and like listen more than you speak, mm-hmm. which is is not as much the case for staffers. I think you feel a lot of pressure of like, well, I got to be gonna be pitching a lot i gotta mm-hmm. be like earning my place uh but as a script coordinator you're already earning your place if you're taking notes like you're doing a great job pitch is like a bonus you yeah. know yeah. so I, I thought i i loved being a script coordinator and i think anybody if you have an opportunity to be a script coordinator or they're called different things at different places at, at disney sometimes the writer's apprentice does it sometimes that's a title for mm-hmm. it sometimes it's also like 
like a production secretary who will do it. it. It varies from place to place, but at, at uh, Nickelodeon, it was script coordinator, and that's yeah, it's an awesome role. I loved it. Like, it it's was a, great. It's a pretty common path for people to get to yeah. a, a staff writing certainly. Position. Like especially if you're lucky enough to be on a show that lasts a long time. I mean, every every Loud House script coordinator became a writer because Whitney was the coordinator season one. I was like two and three, and then mm-hmm. also a writer. And then we had another writer, Byron, another writer, Andrew, who were script coordinators first and then staff writers. Like that's because you are because you're in the room and you're able to contribute. And again, on good shows, they'll give you freelance episodes. You can kind of prove yourself that way, too, which is really great. But there is also kind of an understanding of like you're probably newer. And I think that you get a little bit more room to like I think that people are good about teaching right like they want you to learn and I think their understanding of like your first script out of the gate as a freelancer like if you're a script coordinator is not going to be like you know infallible like they're going to want to make changes to it and like that's mm-hmm. chill you know well just that's just really yeah cool. like learning that is important yeah. too like knowing that they might tear it up a little bit and yeah. that's like what the room is for like that's yeah. what i will that's say that was for. something that was that was great like a super great learning experience on on loud houses because because we did so much script work in the room and we were kind of going through everyone's scripts. I watched so many scripts get like torn down to base. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I think that I now have an attitude of like, you can, you can blow it up at any point. And yeah. like, if you're blowing it up to make a better story, I think that it's like worth it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's very gratifying when you can look at a story. Cause we always know, right? Like mm-hmm. you always know when you're working on the story, like, I'm not sure this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the end of it and you look at it and you're like, okay, it doesn't work. But being able to take the step back and this is definitely something that I, I learned a lot as again, cause we did this a lot, like take a step back and be like, okay, what are the things that we liked about this? What are the things that made us excited about telling the story? Like, what are like the cleanest pieces, right? Like, what is the emotional arc? What is the character lesson? What's mm-hmm. the goal? Like, what are like the really clean things? And is there a way to keep the things that we really loved? And so maybe it's not, you know, a full rewrite or anything. Keep the things that we loved, but then rebuild around it. And like, it's so satisfying. Honestly, I actually love it. It's very satisfying when you go from a script that maybe you worked really hard on, but you can tell, like, you know, in your heart and in your brain, it doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then scrapping it, but starting on a script that now you know will work because you learn these lessons from doing the last version and you know that didn't work. So if that didn't work, mm-hmm. well, these are the problems here. Now I've solved the problems. I know this is going to work. Like I actually find that kind of like electrifying when you're like working on, even if it's like a full rewrite, I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. I know this is going to yeah. work. Like I'm so excited to do this. And then you could take that to your next script too. And like a hundred percent, right? I have this mm-hmm. thing. Every, every failed script is a lesson, you know? <laughs> uh, do you feel like, do you ever feel like you get to a point where you're like, ah, oh, I know everything. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you get that one script that you can't crack. Uh, I definitely never got to the point where I think I know everything. I think I usually am like, ooh, I don't know that I know much at all. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, it, it, it definitely is humbling when, and it kind of depends on stories too, because I feel like, you know, I was you know, raised in a house of telling very, very clean stories. Like that was, that was super crucial on The Loud House. Uh, and I think that, you know, yeah, if I'm, if I'm telling a story that I feel like has such a clear through line and I can see where the comedy is really easily and I can see what like the arc is. There are definitely stories that that seem like they'll, and this, I mean, this happens a lot, right? This is why things sometimes get rewritten at script because there are things that sometimes at outline look like they work. Or even I had an experience on um, on Molly McGee where I was working on an episode and at outline, like it totally worked. Like the episode was, we all really liked it. And then my bosses realized, oh, this is the same as another episode we've done. And like, it wasn't oh. really exactly the same, right? Like it wasn't, it was, it was a different set of characters, but kind of like the lesson and like yeah. the main kind of thing a character learned was the same. So we were like, oh, we got to scrap it. Like, yeah. 
that doesn't work. Yeah. But you, you might not see that until you're like a little further on the process. So I do think like, yeah, for people who are who are just just starting to like work professionally, that's a good thing to keep in mind is like stuff happens, like especially like in like these earlier stages of production. And I know they also happen at you guys' stage of production all the time, but like mm-hmm. there there are episodes that are going to get, you know, just torn back to the beginning. And, you know, it's, it's usually not your fault. It's usually just like a thing that happens or someone realizes something is too close to something else or like, or mm-hmm. you also will probably know it as a writer. You're probably writing it being like, Ooh. <laughs> maybe I, I can get away with this one. one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, can I ask that? Like, like, like what for you is like, how do you know when, like you want to like die on that hill, you know, like if there's like, like there's something that you want to pitch or like there's Mm -hmm. a story point that you're like, that you really, really believe in, but you're kind of getting like a lot of, you know, yeah, you know, not, not when you are, uh, when you're the staff writer or like a script coordinator, uh, the answer to that question is, uh, twice. (laughs) It's that (laughs) you pitch it once and you pitch it to like your best ability and you really try to sell it. And if you really love it and you want to fight for it and you want to die on that hill, you yeah. might try a second time. After they kill it the second time, you're done. I think that's good. Oh, that's good stop, advice. Stop yeah. pitching it. Like they, they that's don't great. Like that's great it. advice. Yeah. The level of like like dying on the hill is twice. Yeah. It means yeah. that, like if you, you're not ready to die for you, it, it's just a single time. You resurrected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they then they push you back into the grave. Then they push you back. <laughs> It's over. Especially, too, I feel like that kind of more applies to circumstances, too, where, like, you pitch it once, they don't love it, and then the episode starts going in a little bit of a different direction, and you're like, well, maybe my thing does work if we're going in a different direction, and then you try again, they hate it again, it's over. Stop talking. Yeah. Like, you, you, you gave it your If you love that idea so much, repurpose it, write it into your own work. But, like, the reality yeah. of being a, a staff writer is, like, you, like, you are, the job that you are doing is trying to make the people above you's job easier. Like, I want to make things that my story editor likes and approves of and, like, thinks will be easy to deal with and that my showrunners like and appreciate and think will be easy to deal with. Like, that is what I am trying to do. I am not trying to, like, there are obviously some episodes that I've written that are just, like, dream episodes where I feel like, oh, like, this was so incredible. I'm so grateful that I got to do this. And it's, like, honestly, it's kind of most episodes. Uh... But the reality is, like, that all comes after, am I writing the show that my, the people who are above me and who are making those, like, kind of broader decisions want to make? Yeah. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a huge part of being a separator. If you're not good at being able to work with what they want, and then also, you know, infuse your own stuff, but, you know, working within those bounds, you won't be a successful staff yeah. writer because you're, the people above you will get frustrated with you and be like, well, this is, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Don't make this harder for me. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's yeah it's less about projecting your like idea and more so like your voice and just like adding to yes to the show because i mean it is a job it in, in the end it is, it is a it's, job, a, right? it's a job and and there are you know if you're on if you're on a good show as i've been on very good shows like you know you're lucky that you can you can infuse a lot of your voices a lot of your voice and and i feel like you know, a lot of times the stories that you really want to tell, you're you're going to be able to get through, but they might be tweaked in, in this way or that way to like kind of meet mm-hmm. what the show needs. And like, that's part of the job. I honestly think that's a good part of the job. Like, I think having mm-hmm. restrictions as a writer is actually so nice and so useful because mm-hmm. if you kind of have no guardrails, the world is like a little too endless. <laughs> so it's yeah. nice when it's <laughs> like, okay, here's the boundaries. And it's like, great, give me the boundaries. I will, and I also think, when you have boundaries, it forces you to come up with creative solutions, which is like, yeah, that's another thing that like about writing, right? That I just find so electrifying. Like that's so fun when you're like, oh yeah, like, like this, this, ba- these bounds seem impossibly small. How could we ever figure it out? And then you figure it out and you're like, whoa. 
Like, yeah, it's like the puzzle. Like, uh, it's your it, puzzle it's, time. Yeah. Writing is such a puzzle. Like, it totally is. Like, when you find that right piece, oh, so satisfying. Uh, <laughs> that's so great. Do you feel like, um, actually, no, I'm going to rephrase that. I, I, can you, um, uh, give us a little bit of like a typical day in a writer's room, like kind of mm-hmm. like, um, what does it look like when, for example, you have to take a script from back from two zero or like, what does it look like mm-hmm. when there's like a punch up pass mm-hmm. on a script or like, uh, how, through how many scripts do you guys go? Like all that kind of, mm-hmm. um, nitty gritty. Yeah. So I do think that's another thing that is really lovely about like this line of work is that like your day to day tends to be pretty different. Um, like I, there are days, so there's kind of room days and then on your own days is kind of like a good way to think about it in two Mm. different kind of categories. So on a room day, you're in a room or in a zoom room, uh, (laughs) with all of the writers and like the story editor, who's kind of like leading everything. Um, and yeah, you're talking about kind of whatever the issues at hand, a lot of time you're breaking whatever the next story is, like whether that's your story or somebody else on staff story. Uh, so you'll be talking story or maybe you're at the very beginning phase and you're doing just ideation of like, what could this next story be? Or we have, we have these like three, so we have a three word phrase that we want the next story to be. Can we turn that into a story? It could that work? Uh, and then punch up and then yeah, punch up is like a very specific beast and very, very fun. Uh, on the ghost mm-hmm. of Molly McGee, we did like room breeds where we'd all like assign out like characters and we get to like, we'd read the script first and you kind of came ahead of time with your like pitches to like punch it up. And then we just go kind of page by page and, and throw out punches. Uh, and that was, that was like a very fun process. So I, I do feel like a lot of it is kind of just like, it's like fun stuff like that. Um, and yeah, getting to just kind of think about, yeah, how do you make things funnier or more specific? Uh, and then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going through. And then sometimes, sometimes there'll be, like, meetings that you're having with your story editor. And those sometimes include all the writers. A lot of times it just includes the writer whose episode it is. Where you're talking through stuff, right? It's like, okay, like, you know, this works in the outline. I'm not sure that this works. Like, kind of, it is. It's a ton of puzzle puzzle solving, problem solving of how do you how do you fix this? Uh, and the days that you're on your own, um, you're just, it's basically just like, okay, what's my next deadline? What do I have to be working on? What am I supposed to be getting done right now? And usually, uh, it dep- all it all shows you're overlapping, right? Like you're always going to have at least two scripts going at once, sometimes three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they'll be at different phases in the process. So it's like, okay, if I have a first draft that's due, and then I have a premise that's due, like, you know, the day after that or whatever, I'd prioritize, you know, whatever is due first or whatever I know is going to be more work. Or the thing that's also kind of nice about it, too, is sometimes you can kind of bounce back and forth. If I'm working on a script and I hit a roadblock, I might be like, okay, well, like, I'm going to go write the premise. Cause, like, that'll be easy. I can bang that out. And, like, <laughs> then I'll, I'll cross something off the list, but I won't have to face this problem. And I can procrastinate on it, which is lovely. <laughs> oh, that's great. Wow. Um, I didn't know that you guys would be like writing multiple scripts at once. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like uh, when you, if you have like four scripts going at once, what are like the different stages of yes. the script? I mean, hopefully you don't have four going at once. Yeah. yeah if, you, if you'd had three going at once. Uh, <gasps> so usually that circumstance. So there's the steps basically that we do are premise outline, first draft, second draft, essentially. Mm. And then there's kind of other steps in between. They're like, you know, there's a final draft. But that's usually not as much the individual writers, you know, like issue to deal with. And there's also like a beat meeting that occurs between the premise and the outline. Mm. So usually if you're on multiple scripts, it'd be like you're on the first draft of one script and then you're on the premise of another. And then maybe you're like kind of on like a pre-premise stage, like thinking about what your episode after will be and like kind of preparing ideas or things to talk about. And sometimes you will run into circumstances where you are on like 
a first draft, an outline, and a premise. But, like, that is, like, that's when, like, the schedule has, like, collapsed a little bit and, like, things are getting a little hairy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I would say it's extraordinarily unusual to have, like, two scripts at first draft at the same time. Like, that would be... That would be very challenging. It is. It's happened to me. I think it's probably happened to every writer at some point. Yeah. But that is usually because something went wrong. Like that's kind of not how it would typically work. Oh yeah. Oof. Yeah. That sounds really scary. <laughs> yeah. On um, how Molly was eleven. Uh, were they eleven? Or eleven. Twos? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eleven. Okay. Uh, you've have you written twenty twos? I have. So uh, My Little Pony is twenty two. So I wrote a couple oh. uh, My mm. Little Ponies, and those were twenty twos. Uh, but that is, that's the only, sh- that is, that's the only show that I've worked on that was 22s. Everything else, even all the other freelances I think I've done have been 11 minutes. I'm a lover of the 11 minute format. I think, yeah. I mean, 22 minutes is also obviously great, but I, I love 11 minutes. Like I like, I like the pacing of 11 minutes. I like how much you can jam into a story. Like, I don't know. I think 11 minutes is, I'm an 11 yeah. minutes kid. I love it. I think it's yeah. great. <laughs> so, like, like you, you're a huge fan of My Little Pony. Like, this I is very am a huge fan. This of is a very pony. known fact about you. If you know Sammy, she loves My Little Pony. So like, I what, love My Little Pony. What, what, it's a great show. It's honestly, yeah. a great show. It's so good. I mean, and you know, like the entire extended, like, yeah, MLP my universe. entire childhood was just My Little Pony. Like, I would say yeah. the reason that I like wanted to make movies for sure was like the first My Little Pony special that I found on like a VHS tape at like a Goodwill, My Little Pony Rescue at Midnight Castle. Um, I watched multiple times a day, uh, every day for probably like three or four years. I have every line memorized. Like I, that is like the most important piece of media to me in the entire world. If like everything in the world was burning down and they're like, we're going to erase all media. You can only save one thing. I would save My Little Pony Rescue at Midnight Castle. And I wouldn't even think twice about it. I'm watching The Godfather oh, burn be- and I'm like, good luck. <laughs> it'd be like family photo album. Some, if someone else doesn't get you, that's on you. Yeah. And you're like, like yeah, it's fine. <laughs> they can remake so it. Good. Yeah, exactly, right? You can't remake the magic that no. was My Little Pony Rescue Midnight Castle. Uh, so like, are you a bigger fan of My Little Pony or I mean, that's an incredibly tough question. You're asking me to choose between my children. Um I probably would say My Little Pony just cuz I feel like that has that's I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I also like I was also raised in a Star Wars household, right? Like I feel yeah. like my dad is a huge Star Wars fan. Like we watched Star Wars a ton when I was growing up, and that's obviously how I got into Star Wars. Uh, those are those are like my two children. V, you're, mm. you're giving me a Sophie's Choice? Sorry, I just wanted to sneak that in there. But I, are mean, you, I think, you... you know, I think I already kind of said it. I think I have to stick to like, you know, probably My Little Pony, but I mean, mm-hmm. by the smallest of margins. If one of those ponies irritates me, maybe the question's different, you know? So, so what was it like going onto the show, like in, in this universe that, or, you know, where they've worked on some of your like biggest childhood memories and like influences and stuff like like was yeah, it, was mean, it like was, challenging or like what what did you i mean, it was just like a dream come true like yeah. I, think I probably just like cried for like weeks um <laughs> i think even specifically with that it was very interesting because so i i've been to a ton of uh national my little pony conventions um mm-hmm. and there was one year i think it was i think it was the vegas year i think it was i went to the 2009 my little pony convention in vegas and they Hasbro would come to those conventions. It was it was like a fan convention, but Hasbro would come. They were like really good to us as fans. Um, even though we were like we were just selling and kind of trading uh, like the eighties My Little Ponies, uh, not kind of any <laughs> stuff they were having out now. Um, but they came and they like gave a presentation. And they talked about the fact that they were making a new TV show and that the new TV show was going to be out in X amount of time. They had like a big poster with it on it. And I remember, so I was nineteen, and I remember thinking, 
oh, that's so, like, this is very selfish. I remember thinking, oh, that's so sad for me because there's no world in which I would be able to become a writer by the time <gasps> that I would be able to work on this show. Like, there's no world, right? Because because no shows last that long, right? Yeah. I'm 19, mm-hmm. I'm still in college. I'm thinking, well, this is going to be like every animated show and last two, maybe three seasons at best. It'll mm-hmm. be over when I'm, you know, moving to yeah. L.A., uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously it's incredible that that show took off. I mean, it's, an, it's obviously an awesome show and it, it gained a ton of ground, uh, and had a hu- hugely wide fan base, which I think was very cool. So yeah, when I got the opportunity to do those episodes, I was like, this is crazy. It was, it was literally a dream come true. I was like, oh, this is, this is absolutely oh. insane. And I definitely, it definitely was challenging because like, I felt a tremendous amount of pressure on like, okay, yeah. like what am I, I feel like I need to like do something with this times. And, and we were really lucky because the story editors, um, Whitney had worked with before and two like spectacularly talented women. So they like, they already kind of had an idea in mind for what they wanted to do. And we were able to kind of work with them and like, like come up with those episodes. And it, man, it was such, it was, it was, yeah, that was, that was my dream. Right. Like it was, that I, I do definitely remember after I remember getting the call from Whitney being like, they asked if we would do one. I just remember like thinking I was like, I'm good. Like I like, this was, that was I hit, it. Like I that was it. what I wanted to do. Yeah. Like I did it. Like <laughs> we actually got to like write episodes. Like it was, and then we got to do a second one too, which like it was, yeah, it was incredible. It was so fun. That is so cool. Wow. Oh, oh cool. man. That's so cool. Uh, That's such a cool story. I feel like, you know, like, yeah, I feel like, you know, being able to work on a show that you admire like that, Mm -hmm. it's like, man. And and for it also to be like a great experience, it sounds like it was like they were really cool. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was like, it was the best time. Like we had, we had so much fun on it. And also it was fun too. It was like, even just taking it outside of My Little Pony, it was fun writing a 22, right? So it's something that I hadn't really done much of before. And like, Mm -hmm. it's something that I I did a lot in like personal projects, but never professionally. So I was like, oh, this is, Mm -hmm. you know. Another stretch, another new muscle. Like, yeah, that yeah, was great. So uh, that's like, come true. Tw- yeah, twenty two. I don't know. Kind of scary because there's just like so many. Like, so do long. you feel like there's yeah, and like how many are like like? I feel like you have to have an A and a B story. Do you feel like in an eleven, you do you feel like in an eleven you're like good with just an A story and like you're excited about just doing the A or do you feel like you're trying to sneak in a, a B also? It is. I mean, listen, we're writers. We're always trying to pack more stuff in there. Um, I, I will say, I do think that an, just an A story is enough for an 11. Like, I think that that's the thing that's really nice about 11s. Mm-hmm. I think that if you have enough twists and I, I think Loud House did um, just A stories really well. There's obviously some of episodes that have B stories, but by and large, yeah. they were all just A stories. Mm-hmm. And I think because we had such kind of a specific structure and we had a lot of kind of points for twists built in, mm-hmm. I never felt like when I was writing those episodes that I didn't have enough story. Like I never felt that way. Cause we'd always yeah. really pre-planned a lot of pivots and turns and twists. Um, mm-hmm. But we did do some with B's and then on, on Molly McGee, we do a lot of B stories and I think B stories can definitely work. But it's it's tougher, right? Like I think that it's it's just you're jamming a lot into a really short period of time, and you have to make sure that you haven't that there's not too much story in either one of those storylines. And I think for B stories and Elevens, no matter what, they have to be simple. Like they have to be probably just three beats, maybe a couple more if you really need to squeeze it in. But the reality is, you're not going to have enough time to have like a really thorough B story and maybe you can have like a tiny emotional arc but probably not a big one because it's just going to end up getting cut later like it's yeah it's more challenging although I will I will say something that we did a lot on Molly that was like from a storytelling perspective extremely satisfying is I feel like we had a lot of stories where the A and B stories would dovetail together which was like very that's always like you always feel really good about that mm-hmm. you're like ooh Full yeah circle and I feel moment. like that's for me when B stories work the best mm-hmm. or at least like if the B story is like you know either thematically similar or like 
location-wise similar. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that I think that definitely that's probably the way to do B stories. But I definitely anybody who's mm-hmm. working on eleven minutes, I think you can just do an A story if your A story is solid and you've got good turns and a strong character story. You can just do an A story. Yeah. 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 It's like it's always better. Like it's always better to have like a strong A story than like a weak A and B. Agreed, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, you got, a, you got a whole ass that one. Yeah. Well, like that won't feel as satisfying. Like, and you can you can totally have a satisfying emotional A story, and then just a little baby B runner. Like those, you know, we've done those mm-hmm. a bunch. Like that's that's something that that'll work. But the B the B's gotta be small. You gotta keep. Yeah. Like yeah. I did. Uh, I didn't even on Molly. On, even on yeah. The- even, so I did an episode on Molly that I always think about. It's like it's such a good. It's a great quote unquote B story, um, because it's uh there's a Molly scratch story that like is. You know, has like a like an emotional arc, but isn't isn't like it doesn't need necessarily need like a ton of scenes or anything. And then the B story was a literal B story. Uh, my boss Bob pitched this like this idea that I mean cracked us up so hard because we knew the story needed a B story. And he's like, "What if it's a B story? There's a story about like the bees, the like, bees getting in the house, and the rest <laughs> of the McGee's like fighting for their life against these bees." But the thing about a story like that, right? It's like that's a simple story. That's three mm. scenes of like the bees get in, cowering from the bees. The bees are a bigger problem. We got to deal with the bees, and then the story stuff right like the a story ends up solving the b story hello oh, the b story laugh nice. whatever i think about it mm-hmm. that's um, so funny <laughs> but yeah but I, I think you know in situations like that it works because that was exactly that was a really simple story there wasn't a particularly it wasn't like really an emotional arc it was just kind of like fun and then it made sense with the a story which i think kind of when you're able to bring them together i think that's when mm-hmm. the a b really works yeah that makes a lot of sense um it sounds almost like a little bit of a sketch that b mm-hmm. story like more, more like sketch writing almost totally it is it's just kind of like quick funny get in get out like mm-hmm. just kind of add some some flavor some fun some spice to the episode mm-hmm. that's really cool i i love that i feel like we've kind of we've talked about a ton of stuff that i'm really excited about uh and i feel like we can kind of dive into some questions um i wonder if you because we were just talking about the episode with the bee would you say mm-hmm. it's the your favorite episode you've written for the ghost and molly mcgee or do you have another one that's a question mm. from at one last fun from twitter that's a great question it's another one of those where it's like well they're all my children i love i love all my episodes <laughs> equally except for i love some of them more um that's definitely one of my favorites for sure from season one that's probably in the top like two or three i just that episode was like a lot of fun to write and like we just we had a really great time with it um so it's tough i guess i don't know when this will come out as far as like because i think most of my favorite episodes that i did were in season two oh so i'm not sure how many of those will have aired by the time this comes out because this um because it's the season is airing right now everyone make Mm. sure you watch it on uh disney plus please it's available now please watch the show Um, (laughs) (laughs) editor please keep that in Um, yes (laughs) (laughs) um I think of the of like the first season. Um, actually, a sh- an episode I really loved was Ready Set Snow, which was an episode about a snow day where Molly really wanted to do like classic snow day stuff, but her like best friend and uh, her two best friends, her ghost best friend and her human best friend, wanted to like stay inside and just like chill and like have like a nice cozy day. And I feel like that was one of the first episodes where we got to see Molly go a little like feral. She went like kind of crazy <laughs> in that episode because she was so obsessed with this idea and like very fixated on like. I want it to be this, like, moment that I have this idea of, which I, I love that. And I feel like that we were able to kind of do more stuff like that with her later. Because I think that, I don't know, whenever you can add, like, kind of a fun thing about a character about, like, and we already had, obviously, hints of that. But just kind of expanding on it more of, like, like, she can go a little off her rockers. Like, that's a really fun character thing. 
uh yeah then we got to use later so that was i love that episode um yeah that was that's probably my favorite from season one or uh i know the fans really love and i also really love all night play which is a story about um like a comet coming through and again it was about like molly kind of creating a moment and like it's it's like a very it's very sweet at the end it's got like i guess i won't spoil it but it's got like kind of a very sweet ending Mm -hmm. and i do love stories like that like i think as much as i love that's kind of like the two sides of the coins i guess the stories that i like like i love Raising the Snow is great. And it also has an emotional core, but it's a romp. Like, it's just kind of a lot of fun. Mm. And then you have stories like All Night Plight that are like have a lot more kind of emotionality to them. And mm-hmm. I do also, I do love those stories. I love like a sad, like little tender moment at the end of an Aww. episode. Like, I do yeah, find that. Like, yeah, yeah, I do. I love those moments. I think they're very nice. I think it's, yeah, I remember reporting on um, Toads and Tiaras. Yeah. Like, that was a, you know, I really like that episode because it's got, like, the crazy, like, hijinks. Yes. Of but then at the end, you have that really, like, sweet moment. I was like, mm-hmm. I think that was one of my favorite episodes I It's definitely on. one of my favorite Lotus episodes that I did for sure. Like, I think that episode is so... And I also, like, I love Lana. It's such a soft spot for Lana. And, yes. Like, and yeah. I agree, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is. It's nice. Like, I think it, it, you really get, to, like, a really, like, tender, real thing at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And that was also exciting because that, at that point in the Loud House is when we were kind of transitioning from doing just stories that were told from Lincoln's perspective mm-hmm. to doing stories that were also told from the sister's perspective. And I think mm-hmm. Toad's is still kind of from Lincoln's perspective, but it was kind of like, it was kind of like a bridge era where we yeah. were just kind of getting into like, okay, we can do things that are much more sister focused. But I think yeah. for us as the writers who just, who just written a ton of Lincoln stories, I think we were really excited about the possibilities of like, okay, what else can we play with? Yeah, I agree. I definitely felt like that. For like, it we're still like mainly in Lincoln Lincoln's mm-hmm. point of view because it's like he wants a thing. Like yeah. the story mm-hmm. is focused on like what he wants, but then the core of the like obstacles and problems was like the two sisters. Yeah, yeah. like uh, and I, yeah, it's it's a really fun episode. Um, you you were talking about how Molly has this like fun flaw that you were kind of like mm-hmm. excited to um play with in the like Snowden episode mm-hmm. what would you say when you're when you're working on your personal stuff when you're like creating characters how do you kind of like go about creating characters how do you yeah make a character uh appealing I guess no that's good yeah so say one of the most important things to me always I think it's because I'm just always kind of thinking about the future of like how would this actually how would I actually make episodes about this mm-hmm. is those character flaws like that's my favorite because I think people get really focused on like what are all the really good things about this character which interests me much less I want to know what are the things that this character like aren't great right like what are the things that they yeah. that either other people struggle with or what that they struggle with themselves like I think to me that's what makes really interesting characters and it's also what leads you to having a lot of like storytelling potential right Because it's the character flaws that kind of give you something to work with Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I think about that. I think about interesting stuff like that. And then I also think, at least for me, I think I should be curious what other writers do. Like when you're first starting on a character, for me, it's like I try to capture like a very specific feeling that I have about something. Like mm-hmm. kind of try to like partition off like a, a part of myself of like, this is a very specific way that I feel about this thing or this experience that I have. And then I kind of just go from that as the baseline of like, okay, if that is like the most important core thing to their character, what are the things that would have spawned out of that being like kind of your core like incident in a way or like your kind of core belief? Like what are the things, what are the positive qualities that make sense and what are the negative qualities that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's usually, that's usually, I wrote um, a sample that I wrote like, actually I guess earlier, yeah, I guess God, it was last year because now it's 2023. Uh, was about like a girl who was a sidekick who wanted to be a hero and that Mm. was that was her like that was her core thing right it was that 
she felt like she didn't have control over her own life, that she was kind of living someone else's life, having to follow in their footsteps, and she wanted to live like her own life. I think being able to partition off, like, okay, that's her core thing, then what are the things that make sense in like association with that? So that's only how I do characters. I don't know, I'd be curious. And then, yeah, and then obviously there's another character in that script who was a little bit more trepidatious, and then I access all of my anxiety, and I'm like, okay, like, how do we, if that is kind of their core thing, like, what are the things that, and, and I do, I think that something that, you know, writers talk about a lot, and I think is like a note that you can get a lot early on in the process, is that, like, you don't, like, there are some aspects, like, if you have two major characters, there are some aspects that are going to be like diametrical opposites. Like that's just kind mm -hmm. of natural, but mm -hmm. it shouldn't be that everything is like an exact opposite. Like it doesn't always, there are some situations where, you know, kind of the big core things, maybe it makes sense, but it shouldn't be everything. Right. Cause your characters also still have to get along. Like, I think that Molly yeah. and scratch are like a great example of that in the ghost of Molly McGee is like, they kind of have their big, like introvert, extrovert, cheerful, gloomy, but there's mm -hmm. so many things that they also like have in common. And I feel like once those characters got to know each other, it makes so much sense why they, how they're able to play off each other and like have such a great relationship, but you still kind of have these cores that like have just a little bit of friction. So you can kind of get some stories out of their like opposing views or even just like that. They're always going to have kind of distinct takes, which is really valuable. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Do you feel like when you have a trio instead of a duo, uh, do you feel like there's like a third will or do you feel like you have to actually make them like all on the same level of like interesting? It's hard because I feel like you want to make them all on the same level of interesting. But I do think I think a lot of shows I guess I'm trying to think I'm like kind of going through my brain trying to go through most kid shows. It does feel like most like animated kid shows at the end of the day do have like a, a pretty strong either protagonist or like core like duo or like even obviously on the loud house there's like a tremendous amount of you know like main characters like all the sisters are main characters but lincoln is kind of the most main character and i do yeah. think mm -hmm. that it helps to kind of circle everything around kind of that one fixed point and then obviously on the loud house we were able to do stuff that was so removed from lincoln just partially because we had so many episodes and we had so many opportunities to do other stuff mm. um yeah, I do think, I think three main characters would be really hard. I almost feel like you would be better off thinking about it as one main character with like kind of two secondary Second. characters. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you could pull it off, right? I am, I'm trying to think about, I mean, I can't think of any shows offhand that have that kind of dynamic, but like, I'm sure it would work, but. I'm thinking like, for example, like Ed, Ed and Eddie, they're like oh, yeah. three of them, oh, good, but like, yeah. do you feel like, I don't know, because, um. Uh, I always forget which one's the dumb one. It was, uh, I Eddie? didn't watch it, that's so Eddie. I'm not gonna be helpful. No, no, yeah. that's Ed. <laughs> that's Ed. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like he, he yeah. doesn't really talk. So yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Because so you kind of almost have to siphon somebody off to like have yeah. like a better like one on one dynamic. Even mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm trying to think of other. Or it's like yeah. you keep them like kind of one note, but like yes, yeah. Just like keep it a little simpler because I think that's the reality too. Is I think that like the number one mistake that I feel like people can make in like a writing process is just making things like overly complicated for complicated sake. Mm -hmm. Like I think sometimes it feels like really fun to add in like all this kind of like insanity, but like if it doesn't make sense for like the story and like mm -hmm. the characters, like don't just add stuff to like complicate for no reason yeah. or same with the characters, right? Like if you're just kind of, I don't know, that's, that's, so, it's tough to, it's tough to balance. I do think that, yeah, shows with kind of one protagonist or, or on Molly McGee, obviously we kind of have the two protagonists. Like, I think that's perfect. Like, I think that kind of working with the two people is, is great. Mm. Or two characters, not pe Well, Scratch is a post-living person, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that you said post-living. Post that's really interesting. That's, that's the from key. the show. That's I the still key. remember who pitched that. I did steal that from the show, I, but uh, I do love that. This is actually a really good thing that I want to talk about. Like, I, um... 
so Disney has shows that have like concepts where kind of like tricky to talk about like there's mm-hmm. a ghost or like yeah. house is like a different world that is um and how and stuff, yeah. yeah how do you what are the words that you could say like mm-hmm. how do you talk internally with the like is there like a lingo yeah. is there like a little <laughs> so, memo that you could like could like post living like, I, like so, I I heard on the internet sometimes they're like unalive in, <laughs> instead of like yeah like the verb unaliving is yeah <laughs> Uh, I will say it was extremely different uh, going from Loud House to Molly as far as, like, the things that we could say and do. Like, it was pretty night and day, mm-hmm. uh, which also, you know, obviously makes sense because, like, Loud House, like, and you don't need to say the word kill in Loud House. Like, you just, you don't yeah. need it. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, really, yeah. it's not really necessary. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, show, like, I think also Molly, I think, is aimed at, like, a little bit of an older audience. I think Disney tends to kind of, they kind of get closer into that. Like, they, they're able to, like, kind of touch more, like, kind of the young teen era Mm-hmm. uh of kids so i think that helps so i will say on molly mcgee i mean obviously maybe i just wasn't as privy to it like maybe this stuff was going on a lot and i just didn't hear much about it uh but we didn't get a lot of pushback on like the words and language we use i think because it was like a show about a ghost right so like mm-hmm. yeah you're saying dead we definitely said kill at least once like really interesting yeah. oh wow wow yeah. which i remember obviously on, on loud house it was funny because loud house you did kind of have all of these like Shorthand's like, well, we can't say kill. You have to say, like, destroy. Like, you have mm-hmm. to... We definitely had to dance around language mm-hmm. more. On Molly, I can't even really think of... I mean, there's always stuff that's going to kind of get stopped up. But I feel like more often than not, it's something that you're just kind of more like, huh, okay, I didn't I didn't think about it that way. Or, like, that's confusing. Like, we should talk to them and see, like, were we on different pages about this? Uh, but, yeah, we, we didn't face a ton of... Um, like pushback or like uh on language i don't i don't think at least maybe we did like my bosses are listening to this and they're like sammy what are you talking yeah. about <laughs> but, i don't know i didn't hear about it i was like I don't i'm gonna post live on this script, hill so <laughs> i know they have like a list of all the ways of like all these words they wanted yeah. to say that they're dreaming to get into an episode that they didn't get into those i'm just like i'm always like really kind of like interested in that like the language because i feel like sometimes when you're pitching shows you want to mm-hmm. be like very kind of careful with the words yes. that you pick so i was just wondering well, if there and was i think like, it's it's so tough right? because all the networks are so different and i think also yeah. the ranges that you're pitching to are so different right like i think that if you are if you're because you know obviously we always talk about like you know we're kind of in like six, the six to eleven space mm-hmm. but there are definitely shows that end up being more successful or having more or getting more kind of ground in that like six to nine space. And there's also shows that have a lot more ground in like the nine to 14 space. So I think even just that level of like kind of demographic, like kind mm-hmm. of shifting, I think it also make a huge difference in kind of what kind of stories you're allowed to tell or even make sense to tell. Like I think, you know, on Loud House, we did some romance, but I feel like we never did too much of it. Just I think we were aware that like it wasn't a thing. Like there are mm-hmm. some people in the audience, obviously who love it, but I think there's a lot of people in the audience who like aren't that into it. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. I think on Molly, it's easier to do a little bit more romance because the audience is a little bit older. Like yeah. I think that it's something that maybe those kids are a little bit more interested in. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, then you know, obviously the, the the older fans too. You know, we you know, you think about too, you know, what what they're going to like. But at the end of the day, like the core demographic is is the age range that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. that's kind of always the 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 forefront of our minds. That's really, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, well, I guess you kind of answered that question from at gay for hope punk from twitter that uh, they were wondering what it was like working on shows like model pony and ghost and molly mcgee mm-hmm. so we kind of talked about that from at 
a special raptor from Instagram. How does one come up with new and interesting episode ideas when a show goes on for as long as some cartoons do? Example, The Loud House. Yeah, I really like that That's a great question. That's a great question. And that's also just like a great example of like, I feel like The Loud House is such a like, man, like, and they're still doing it, right? Like, I I remember I left an episode, I think I left an episode 206. And I was like, looking back at that board. And I was like, wow, we have done it. (laughs) We have have done so many episodes. How could there be more stories left? And yeah. here they are, that like incredibly, that amazing, talented team still turning out more episodes. They're yeah. out there killing it. Uh, so I think specifically on a show, The Lot of Us is, I don't know, The Lot of Us is just so different from so many shows because there's so many characters. I never mm. talked about this a little bit before, but like I think for me, that's certainly what I found towards my, the end of my time there when I was trying to think about ideas. And I think, I, I assume it's kind of still true for them is that because there's so many characters, there's just so much more opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like, because you can focus on one of the sisters and the sister's friends or the sister's, you know, experience or like, you know, I know there's a lot of stories like Lenny and like her work friends or like Lenny at work. And like, those are great areas that, you know, you wouldn't explore in a season one or a season two of a show, a season mm-hmm. four, five, six, seven. Like, of course, like, like that's, that's a great, mm-hmm. that's a great thing to mine and a great way to add depth to that character. Uh, so I think on Loud House, it's certainly, it was, it's that, I think it's that you just have an endless amount of characters. I don't know if people who are still on it, maybe have, you know, more specifics of how they've been able to keep it going. But I think just being willing to kind of stretch and think about, and I know something that we were even doing when I was there and and I don't know if they still do was like, just kind of trying to think of like unusual pairings of like, okay, well, like what's Mm -hmm. a, is there a pairing of sisters that we don't see that often? What would be special about their bond? What is their independent relationship like? Which I think would always breed some like very interesting stories and some really stuff, good stuff came out of that. And yeah, I don't know if they still do that, but that was, I like that was mm-hmm. a really good way to generate ideas. Uh, I don't know how other shows do it. Like I, you know, I think about the other shows that have been on for a super, I don't know, I think like, cause I, again, I was a huge Adventure Time fan and that show mm-hmm. went on for a really long time. And I don't I know think... where, and, and those episodes were so like extraordinarily creative and they, they did have some other characters that they could like focus episodes on in the way that we had the sisters, but definitely not, they couldn't lean on that certainly as much. I don't know where those came from. Really I feel like maybe it. since they had like a more serialized um, tone, maybe that kind of helped because I feel like what's kind of tough with Loud House is that you kind of reset mm-hmm. every, yeah. and there was like a little bit of like character growth here and there but it's mostly yeah. a reset yeah true and i think it's also true about like adventure time i guess i'm thinking about like there were like a lot of kind of big there's like the, like the islands episodes like there were kind of big arcs yeah. that i think probably helped mm-hmm. kind of yeah guide the story forward i definitely are right about like change too right and that's that's a challenge with a show that's kind of more sitcom based is that yeah is that the characters they do they they they, they learn lessons and they can grow a little bit but at the end of the day the characters are not going to change dramatically and, and I'm not sure. I mean, I think they maybe they had a little more allowance when they aged everybody up the year. Maybe that kind of was made them able to have them have a little bit more growth in the Loud House. Um, oh, they aged the characters up. They did. Yeah, Just I think a little season, bit, right? Ari Joe was that season five. It was season five. That right? was or, that was six. right after I left. Yeah, they they aged oh, them so up like six. a year, I think. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, yeah. What? So like Lincoln. So like Lincoln went to middle school, right? Which is like that's cool, right? You're opening the doors. Yeah. Like, which wow. I also think. I also think that is a great way. And I think that's almost something that you see in mm. live action shows that last a long time. Like I feel like almost the only example I can think of. Like I know Desperate Housewives did like a flash forward. Like I think if you're able to kind of take the like kind of mm. reset the like what we're doing here and kind of move something into the future, I think that will help kind of generate fresh ideas. But yeah. I don't know. I feel like when you have really interesting characters, interesting settings, like the opportunities are pretty endless and it's just i think it gets harder as it goes on and i will say i mean even even on molly right i feel like even after whatever 50 60 episodes 
there were times that you're sitting there thinking like, oh, this is a great idea. Ooh, it's too close to this. Oh, that was a great idea. Oh, it's yeah. kind of like, like yeah. emotionally, it's a little too similar to this. Like that is, that's a big difference thing for being at the beginning of a show towards like kind of more like a, like a couple dozen episodes deeper is I feel like there's, there's really good themes that like, I feel like a lot of shows end up touching on just because they're great, like themes for kids to like see. And I think they're kind of important episodes yeah. to have, but it mm-hmm. does mean that kind of once you've done it, it's a lot harder to kind of retread that territory. Right. Uh, that's a great I, question. I remember seeing a tweet for, uh, I was just going to say, I remember seeing a tweet from Ben Buckley, who was the creator of Gumball. And he mm-hmm. literally was like, I don't know how we're going to write more episodes. <laughs> I, I don't like, know. It's hard. There's just, just and it, it does, it, 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 I think that's, and you also kind of need almost like a show historian who's like, yeah. who just remembers yeah. everything really well. Like, because wow, yeah. otherwise it's a little easy to forget that like, Oh, we did something that was like not the same story, but has some similarities. But it was six seasons ago, and yeah. like nobody really remembers. And like, if nobody thinks of it before you're kind of too deep in the process, it might be like maybe it's fine, you know? Yeah. No. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Were you gonna say something? Ari? Yeah, like going off that, going off that, Sammy. Um, so like, we can all kind of attest this. Like, if you're on a show for a long time and like you are getting to those later seasons, like there are like powers that are higher up that want you to do bigger and more bombastic things, mm-hmm. which, you know, are, is, re- is like really easy to just throw down on paper. But, you know, there has been pushback from like artists who like don't want to do these things. Cause it's like, why are we doing like, why are we going to like Rome or something and have to do all these like new assets and like draw all these new things. So like, how do you balance that when you're kind of like in that middle, mm-hmm. like someone's telling you to do one thing and then you have pushback from the other side and you want to make everyone happy. Like, how do you do that? The answer, first and foremost, is that we're so sorry. We're so sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we're be. so sorry. I think mm-hmm. that the thing that's really tough, right, is that, like, it's not just us in the middle, right? It's also the people who are asking us to do those things. Like, everybody's in the middle. Like, everyone's everybody middle has management. people above them yeah. who are saying, or, you know, or people, the people who are above us who are asking for, you know, whatever thing that is more bombastic. Like, they might be getting pressure from somebody else, or they might just be in a situation where they are looking at numbers or considering kind of what's successful. And for them, they're really thinking this is the ticket to, to keeping the show going and to keeping it a success. So they're kind of answering to yeah. those powers and kind of their own knowledge base that they're coming from of like, we got to send them to Rome. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I mean, the number the biggest answer I think is, is kind of ingesting those ideas and then seeing, is there a way it is because, and then this is also true with being a staff writer, right? It's like, it's, how do you satisfy everybody or how do you do your best to like try to provide a situation where the artist will have as little pain as possible (laughs) while still satisfying like what the people above you are asking for and are looking for. So a lot of times that'll come in solutions of like, okay, they want this really bombastic thing. Is there, are there things that we've done in the past that had a level of bombacity that we could bring back? Is there a way that we can, Mm reuse stuff or or make something slightly smaller or is there a way mm-hmm. that we can write it so that we'll hope that it's staged in a way that is smaller so it won't require as many as many backgrounds or as much pencil miles or even stuff like and i think it was really tough on loudhouse right because there's just so many characters mm-hmm. but that was definitely part of the you know there was many motivations for moving to kind of stories that were more kind of based on one or two siblings but some of that was just being like i just feel bad about making those artists draw 11 characters in every damn scene like i feel bad i feel <laughs> yeah. bad about it there's, like, there's no way around it <laughs> there's no way around there's so many characters 
Uh, that so was the craziest thing about that show, yeah. for real. Right? <laughs> like, and I think that it was, it's kind of stuff like that is, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, if the people, if the people who are, you know, in power, if they want a certain thing, it's, it's kind of about how do we, how do we do that without killing the artists? And I hope that we, I hope that we do an okay job, but I know sometimes we don't. Like, I know there are some times where it's just like, this is what we have to do. And it, it yeah. almost comes down to like, I hope that they can maybe bring somebody else in to like pick up some of the load. But there are some times where I do feel like our hands are somewhat tied of like, totally. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're getting direction from one side and like, that's just like, that's just what happens. Like you have to, that's what's tough. Right. Well, yeah. and, and again, we, in so many ways, we're all in the middle, right? Like yeah. we're not, it's just like, you know, everyone, everyone is answering to somebody else. Like there's mm-hmm. the lengthiest line of people. It's only the person at the very, 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 very tippity top who is not taking directives from anybody, but everybody else has, you know, a lot of things to, or, and again, too, I think it's tough because, you know, other people will have also just like other information that we don't have about, yeah, things that are working or aren't working and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they're going off that and we're going off like a different set of information sometimes. I think that's very true. And that's something that um, maybe a lot of artists I feel are not privy to is like the mm-hmm. conversation between like um, the execs or upper ups or like marketing and all that, that kind of influences the script that, you know, you don't even really think about when you're like um, a little bit later in the mm-hmm. process because you, you're not in those conversations. So it's yeah. Hard to imagine that they're even happening. Well, I think one of the things, too, that was so nice about, you know, the Loud House and us all being in the office, right, is that, like, is that we have relationships with you guys, right? Like, we know we're, like, friends with the board artists. So I think also it's good (laughs) because then you kind of understand and know and see, like, the practical sides of, like, okay, if you don't think something through enough, like, you're screwed over this person who you, like, adore. Like, and that sucks. Like, that's really sad. (laughs) Uh, But it's tougher in, like, you know, like a Zoom environment. And then obviously there are also just shows that you exactly don't have staff writers. So, like, if I'm a freelance writer or something, I don't know the board artists, like, unless I knew them already because I was friends with them. So, like, I I don't know if the thing that I'm putting in a freelance episode is going to be a nightmare for them because I don't know them and I, I don't have any kind of feedback from them about like, please never do that specific thing again. Yeah. I feel like also, I don't know. It's hard because I feel like coming from friends where like, there's a lot of stuff you can't do because the budgets are so tight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something a little bit refreshing with American scripts where it's like a little bit more like blue sky. So there's like yeah. more room for like, crazy things that you know are a little bit i guess pricier to do um because of in terms of like how much time they take um well that's definitely a balance it is it's it's a balance and like (laughs) i think that you know it it, it, i think also it kind of depends on shows and how much flexibility they have also to like bring in other people because exactly if we're i think that's also part of the negotiating process right it's like if we're being asked Mm -hmm. to do something really bombastic and we know if it's in particular design if we know like design is really gonna like suffer because of that then we can have really early conversations about like okay like yes we'll do it we okay we love doing bombastic stuff it's very fun we just understand how it affects the process Mm-hmm. Which they do too, but like it's you know there there are things you can do, there's things you can mitigate, and like okay, we know this is going to kill design. Can we bring in some freelancers? And obviously, the reality is like that that work you know it's also it's it's always going to be much harder on you know like an art director. Like it's not like you can kind of you can't sub in anybody to help with that kind of stuff. But at mm-hmm. least if you can kind of spread out kind of what people need to do, I think that's always like a hope of a way to make things a little easier. And yeah, and some of the big studios will have the money and the resources to do something. Whereas, yeah, I imagine some of the like smaller places or like, yeah, places that are working on a little bit more of shoestring budgets, they don't really have the option to do that. But I feel like the right answer is never like, well, then everybody should work, you know, 12 hour days. Like that's never the answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Um, from my patron 
Ajax the abrasive. Do how do you guide yourself from fledging idea to the draft writing phase? So I guess we kind of talked about it a little bit with the beats, but like mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe can we go a little bit uh into more details for that? Yeah, totally. So I think that when you have kind of the fledging idea, I guess it kind of depends what is entailed in the idea, but like if you're just kind of trying to blow out, like if you have like a little piece of something, I think it is kind of about thinking about like, okay, what is like the story arc of this? Like what is the yeah, what's the character's goal? Do I have any ideas for obstacles? What do I want like the resolution to be? What do I want them to learn from the experience? And I think kind of just thinking about those kinds of big pieces. And then yeah, so I would I would start there and then I would kind of just kind of type all that stuff up kind of in like a messy document or would be like handwriting it. And then I would transition into like beats where like, and a lot of times it's helpful too, where like, and you know, we like professionally, you know, always break things into acts. And even when I do my own personal work, I break things into acts. It's just like more helpful to kind of think about things in those boxes. Cause you can literally put up on the screen, like, okay, here's what act one is. Here's what act two is. Here's what act three is. And then you can start plugging in beats, even if you don't have all the pieces. So it might be like, okay, the end of act one, like that, this is where the character's goal is. I'm not really sure what's going to happen before that to kind of set it up and what the inciting incident necessarily would be. But I can figure that stuff out later if I'm kind of building. It's kind of like you're building like a puzzle, but you're not even worrying about the edges first. You're kind of just trying to put a couple groups of pieces together mm -hmm. and kind of just start to see what like the big picture is going to be. And then I think, so you kind of, I would do that. And then after that, once I kind of see, okay, I have all these beats and it might be that like, okay, but like there's definitely a section in act two where like there's not enough in act two or like it needs to have more. And then I could look at those beats and kind of be like, okay, well, like, is there a twist or like a turn that, that makes sense? And that would give the character like uh, an interesting growth, growth opportunity. So then you kind of start trying to plug in those additional beats. Uh, and then for me, it's like, once I have like a pretty good beat sheet, so like for, for like an 11 minute episode i might do a beat sheet that's like maybe a page or two like it wouldn't have to be particularly long when you're doing it professionally it's it's different right like usually a premise is a page or a page or two and then an outline is more like four or five pages uh but if you're just kind of it's very different doing because when you're doing an outline like professionally it's usually writing in prose so like you're writing it like nicely right because you're trying to sell it. you want to make sure that the executives like it and understand it and that you've you've kind of made it sound really fun uh, but when you're just writing for yourself, you know, you can just have like, like the bullet point of like, and then Ari plays mini golf. Like, I don't have to sell to anyone why it's fun that he's playing mini golf. I know that Ari playing mini golf is going to be really fun. Uh, so you. I can just worry about that when I go in. I mean, you know, I don't know that we've ever played mini golf, Ari, but I feel very confident that it would be very fun. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that, and then once you kind of have a page or two of kind of those beats, and again, they can be, if it's just for you, they can be a little sloppy. I think more information is always better. I think it helps. And then I would transition to just writing the script. And I would say, this is like the number one thing I always think about is like when you're writing like a first draft, just write anything. Just get, yeah. write the world's most garbage lines in the whole world. <laughs> Have Ari's opening line being like, wow, gee whiz, I'd really love to go play mini golf. Like it doesn't <laughs> have to be, it doesn't have to be like, you know, like an interesting way to say something. It doesn't even have to reflect a character's voice. Like just getting anything on the page because writing is rewriting like every all writers first drafts are bad like that's just how they work but it's only kind of once you have everything on the page you can kind of see how the pacing is working if the story is really playing and then you go back through and like that's the fun part i think is kind of when you're able to edit all those pieces together mm -hmm. uh and kind of that's like really where the change comes but that's like a thing i always 
I've had a couple of friends who have like started uh, writing at various points. Who've like asked me about like, oh, you know, it's just so hard to do like a first draft. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I always see is like, just just write garbage. Like it, it can be it can be so bad. It can be it can be indecipherable and like terrible. But once you have something on the page, you are so much further ahead because you have something like this already exists. And now you can edit it and change it. Like don't send it to anybody. Don't let anybody see it. I'd never let anybody see my garbage drafts. But like just just get that pass done. And then you can go back and edit it a million times. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Oh, man, that's such great advice. Um, and that's a great way to go from, like, yeah, I think that's a great way to answer that question. Um, let's see. Well, um, we were talking about, like, the show is called Creative Block. <laughs> so we always oh. end up on that question, which is, like, <laughs> Um, have you experienced creative block? Because you would be surprised. Some guests on the show are like, no, never. And I'm like, nice. Um, <laughs> Get <but> out. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever experienced creative block? And if yes, how does it feel like? And how do you um, work through it? I feel like I should have thought about this question more. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um... nice to kind of like see like how your mind works. Or like how you kind of like think about this. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I definitely have had periods in my life where I've written a lot less. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily consider them, like, creative. I mean, it's just, I guess, it's, like, the definition of it. Yeah, I guess I've definitely had times where I have not felt particularly, like, like writing or coming up with stuff. Hmm. This one's a thinker. I should have thought it's the title of the show. I should have thought we always it we always trick them. They always think we're we're I not going to talk about it. About it so he was going to say. So he was going to say. Oh, I don't really experience creative block, but then I <laughs> cut the grass from under you. Why say? No, I, I do. I definitely think that I certainly have. Right. Like I think. I think especially. But it's also interesting because I would say I'm extremely fortunate that I went right from Loud House to Molly McGee. Mm-hmm. So I worked like straight through for about eight years. So I think that you know. When you're doing that, like, I guess I, you know, obviously would have creative block on like personal projects, but like mm. you've turned your scripts. Yeah. Like, I think that kind of helps like stop it a little bit just cause like, well, you, like you still have to do your job. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of feeling a little like creatively like yeah. stunted, I guess. But I definitely, you know, I was, you know, I was on Lattice for a really long time. Like I definitely had times where I thought it would be fun to work on personal projects and like, I just kind of couldn't get my mm. mind around it. Like, I think I was maybe like a little too in the weeds of like, like just being on the show. Um, yeah. So I think that's, I guess what creative block has felt like for me is just like, it's kind of more a frustration of anything of like, I want to be doing these things, but I just kind of can't figure out how to like get the ball rolling. Like, I think that's definitely happened to me before or like, or if I'll have a lot of time to myself. Right. And I'll be like, okay, I'm definitely going to sit down and write. And then I feel like, you know, I'd open something up. I'd write a page or two. Then all of a sudden the Sims is open and I'm like, what happened? Oh, so, <laughs> How did I get here? So like, is that kind of your go-to if you like hit a wall with writing? You're like, I gotta, I gotta, let me see how my Sims are doing. I gotta boot this up. I, I think that I, uh, so I'm a big believer. Uh, I live my life by um, a quote from Halloween Town, which is all you have to do in life is want something and then let yourself have it. Uh, so I'm a big believer of like, if I'm struggling with something and I just want to do something else, I tend to not, I mean, there's, there's times where I have to force myself. So I'm like, oh, this is a thing that is literally do. Uh, but like by and large tend to like not force myself to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, like I'm clearly not feeling this. Like I'm just going to do something else. Mm. I think I let myself off the hook very quickly of like, let me just do something different and like change it up, which I think is good. I think it probably allows me to get back to other stuff. Like I think that's the thing that works for me, right? I feel like that wouldn't work for everybody, but for me it is nice. Cause like, you know, after I've realized an hour has gone by and I'm in the Sims, I'm like, well, what happened? 
happened. I might quit out and then start doing something else. Or I might be, you know what? The day's lost. (laughs) (laughs) Today's now a fun day. Uh, So I think, yeah, for me, I feel like whenever, if I'm definitely feeling like a little creatively frustrated, I do think like, yeah, just like moving on to something else. And I think also specifically like doing something that is kind of like creative in a different way, I think is, is really valuable. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, not to just keep using the Sims as an example, but it is a good example. I think of like, you know, in the Sims, like you're either building something interesting or like you're storytelling with like the characters that you're playing with. So you are doing something that I think kind of sparks a different creative thing, but like, but that never feels like work, right? Like, cause it's a totally Mm -hmm. voluntary thing. So it's like, well, I'm just having fun kind of creating these stories on my own and like kind of diving into this world. Uh, and then I feel like a little bit more like amped and ready to be like, okay, well I can get back to something now that I've had, I've had time to read. I also think it's been the one thing that's been very beneficial for me about kind of the work from home system, as much as I miss, I miss being around people. I'm like a very social person. I really miss that. But I am also, I'm a night guy. I don't like the morning. The morning is not <laughs> for me. It's not my thing. Uh, so for me, I mean, a lot of times, like, you know, I, I've done a lot of my favorite work at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Like sometimes mm-hmm. that's just like when it makes sense. And I think if you have the ability to like kind of follow your, you know, your, your intern, your normal internal clock and just kind of, and I try, I do. I feel like I, I love, I love working at like those late hours. Like give me like a nine o'clock, like trying to get something done. I'm like, that's nice. Like 9 p.m. to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like, I don't like to see 9 a.m. I like to pretend it doesn't exist. Uh I was going to say, is it the 9 a.m. after like living through the night? But no, it's no, just the no, night you is young. No. Night, the night, yeah. 9 p.m. Yeah, yeah 9, 9 p.m. is like, that's when, that's when the night's just barely getting started. It's just barely peaked over the, the ridge, you know? <laughs> um, From at Colt D. Instagram. <gasps> okay, so Colton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, our yeah, friend yeah. Colton. Our, our friend Colton. What are the most influential lessons one can learn from My Little Pony? <laughs> what a great question. Uh, first and foremost, I'll take the easy, I'll take the slam dunk of Friendship is Magic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I do. I think that, and I actually think that all of the shows that I've worked on, and also just all the shows that I like, like all the animated kids shows, like that thing that I don't know, I love, I love like the lesson aspect of it, right? And it, it, you have to be very delicate, like you have to not be so kind of, super on the nose about the lessons that you're trying to do in part. But at the end of the day, like that's the thing that's really amazing about like kids media is, is that right. It's like, it's getting to share really important lessons. Um, I think my little pony also has some really great lessons about like being brave uh, mm. and kind of like being willing to like face stuff that like seems really scary. And even like, you know, so I, I've obviously I've seen all of friendship is magic. And I love that show, but I really grew up on like the eighties series version and like, man, there is some scary stuff that happens in that. And like, those ponies gotta, they gotta face some, some trials and tribulations. <laughs> oh. And watching, like, I don't know, like, like fight the monsters and even also, like, also being, like, scared about it and, like, nervous and having those ponies who were like, I don't know, this is a great idea. <laughs> uh, I think there's some really good lessons in that. Uh, but I do think there's also, like, you know, just in general and across all the Mellow Pony series, there's so much great lessons about, like, community and about how valuable how valuable it is to you know to have people and have people that you can count on and to be like willing to ask for help i think that's like a great lesson that i love when kids shows do is that i don't know Mm. i think a lot of kids like i grew up very independent and i think that you know i grew up in a situation where it's like i don't know i didn't really love asking for help and i think that that's like such a such a nice thing for kids like asking for help is great like ask for help like it's people want to help you like ask for help and that's yeah that's definitely that's a lesson from that and just from all things okay we're kind of like um running a, a a little bit 
long on time. So this is going to be a question that you're going to have. It's going to be a hard question to answer in as little words. Okay. I like Uh, that as a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge now. From at K Silva Animation from Instagram. Who's your favorite Jedi and why? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'll answer. Okay. I'll try to answer it really quickly. And then I immediately go into like a verbose speech of like ready to like. I knew it was going to be a challenge. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, for sure. I love Obi-Wan. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love Obi-Wan. I like, as like a kid, I don't know. Like, I feel like I I just think that like that character arc is incredible. And I love him as a Jedi. And whenever I get lightsabers, I always get blue ones for Obi-Wan. Yes. Um, And I think, I think, um, we have one from Lester. Uh, it's your friend Ari, right? Our friend Lester, yeah. Our friend, our friend Lester. Yeah. yeah. Um, we answered like the first two questions, which was like, what led you to becoming a writer and the moment that you decided mm-hmm. to be a writer. But now, what's your favorite restaurant? And you better say Chili's. Well, I mean, if Lester is listening, obviously it's Chili's and our, our, very, <laughs> our very fun Chili's nights um so yeah i mean listen chili's has got to be that that's top tier but i would say if i had so i'm a i have a lot of food allergies so i'm a big chain restaurant eater um mm. it's man gun to my head it's got to be red robin red robin oh, young, you know? uh, lester yeah. make sure you're well, muted at uh, this point uh yeah it's, Ooh, yeah, yeah i would i will i'll do like a big we'll, we'll you know, a make a very loud noise and you can start listening again yeah, I would say like like a yeah probably. I'm trying to think if there's like any local restaurants I can shout out. Like <laughs> no, I love I love Red Robin. Um, oh, guy, you know what I love? Do you guys ever eat at Fat Dog in NoHo? I love Fat Dog. Fat Dog. I've they never have, been there. Oh is it God. is it burgers? No, uh, no hot dogs. Like burgers, kind of like everything, but they have this chopped salad that I am not kidding you is the best thing I've ever eaten. I like I I get it like postmated to my house like at least once a week. Like I love that salad so much. There is like there is some chemistry in this salad. Alright, I feel like we've been there. I'm sure you've heard of it. What? Fat dog in Noho? It's not like Magnolia? Doghouse or Fat Burger? No, no, no. Fat dog. The the child of both? Fat dog? No, no. I'll take you guys there sometime. That salad, oh my God. Um um it is one and a half so sammy ari and i are going to get lunch at fat dog right now mm-hmm. so this is the end of this creative <laughs> <laughs> that's how we end every episode we go that's to, how yeah. we end every episode we all get lunch um <laughs> and so with that it's that's the end of this creative block sammy thanks for being our guest and sharing your story thanks guys for having me this was very fun yeah yeah look at just getting to hang out she's like a nice little uh, hangout time just get to hang out and <laughs> exactly. uh thanks to our listeners follow us on twitter at crtv block where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests a uh, huge thanks to our editor clements for editing the podcast and our new producer marco if you love our show, then support us on Patreon. Becoming a patron gets you early access to interviews as well as bonus episodes. Click the link in the description of this episode. I've been your host, V. And I was Ari. Keep being... <laughs> Shit. Shit. <laughs> so close. <laughs> Keep being creative, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.